This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered and uh, boy, oh boy, is it a big day for Jeff Simpson. <laughs> See how much hair he lost? I've lost a lot of hair. It had to be 10 pounds of hair you just you had lopped off. Well, thank you. You look great. You look like... It's uh, been a big week. You got new tires this week. Yes. And then now you got new hair. New sidewalls. <laughs> Is that where you were going with that? I could have been, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. It, it looks great. You look like uh, Matt Hartbring. No, who's the, who's the basketball player um, that... Gordon Hayward? Gordon Hayward. Right. You've got Gordon Hayward's hairdo. It is funny, at this age, and I'm not the world's oldest person, let's be honest. No, but you are 35. At this age, and having been married as long as I have, again, we've been married a little less than 10 years. We were just talking about this yesterday, how, how funny it is... How excited we get about change, something that's new. Like, oh, my, my niece came over, and we were just raving about the, the new thermostat that we got. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Are you still talking about that? See? Hey, it's if, you little... put, if you put it in the right place at the house, everybody wants to talk about it. Really? Because they walk up, and when you move past it, it lights up. Wow. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. And then you, someone wants to know, because they're, th- they're, they're in the Stone Ages with yeah, the thermostat. Yeah, they're the right? old school thermostat. It's little things like this that get you excited. You know, you come home after getting some savings on a sale, uh-huh. and you just can't wait to tell somebody about it. It's not like you've cured cancer or anything. No, you but just got a sale. It seems almost as groundbreaking. Wow. I... This is what comes with age. And, and... No, hold it, hold it, huh? hold it. Because I am older than you. By 14 years. Well, you're the doctor. Does this, I mean, does this say anything about my relationship? Or well, do I need more excitement in yeah, my relationship? Hold on. First time we've mentioned the doctor and actually something he is qualified to talk about. Go <laughs> That's ahead. That's a really good point. Most of the time it's like, so I've got cancer. I've got this mole that I wanted to show you. It's not, yeah, I'll tell we you We can talk about the mole later, but that, this it, is more pressing. Well, here's just my, here's my, um, here's my solution to your problem. Get a life. Just get a life. This is your diagnosis? You went to school for that? Well. A lot of school for that? It, it just can't be that your thermostat is the biggest event of the week. It can't? No. Well, I got, I got a haircut? I mean, you're not a 98-year-old. Do, do you have one of these thermostats? No. You can control it with your phone. Yeah, but okay. How often are you changing the temperature in your home? It doesn't Daily. matter. I like, you can turn on the fan. Like, my wife will cook something. It's a little smoky in the house. Turn on the fan. I have to turn it on. I have to turn it up every morning so that I can get a sneaky getaway so my kids and my wife don't hear me and wake up. Wow. So this Yeah. I I don't know. I just um I work a lot and I have fun and play a lot. It gives you a detailed history of have how kids. the furnace worked in your house or the air conditioning depending on time of year. Yeah. Detailed maps. You know, wow, look at that. It's okay. like Okay. Well, Time's up, I guess. All right. No, you know what? To each his own. Man, I thought we were... Did you notice that... It's like, like a fitness tracker for your house. No, for your for your furnace. Don't minimize this, Matt. It's your house. I think all I really wanted to say 
was thank you for the compliment. This all started with a haircut. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, to each his own again. Okay, other things going on in the world. Uh, boy, as if it wasn't bad enough for the people of California, fires destroy mountainsides, and now it rains and the mountainside comes down. Flooding and mud drifts caught, killing 13 people. That they know of. Holy cow. California has be been through it. It is crazy because we lived there two year, uh, for two years recently, and we were just begging and praying for rain. And now they get some rain and it's not what not, they need. No. I mean, it's literally moving mountains and oh. – CBS News talked to a guy last night. He's driving his Prius down this freeway. In this area. Very California, by the way. Yeah, I know. He's driving 60 <laughs> totally miles an is. hour. All of a sudden, he says the, the bushes and trees and stuff next to the road explode oh, as this wow. mountain slide oh hits gosh. him. Now, not enough that he bounced off the guardrails, but he came to a complete stop in the mudslide where his wow. car was now stuck. And, and then they showed the car, and you're like, wow, that Prius is dirty. In an interview I heard, so a house burns down, which creates a lot of toxic chemicals, Mm -hmm. and then those toxic chemicals flood down into the house below it, and then they flood down into the house below that, down into the city, across the freeways. I mean, it's just a toxic mess. There's Mm. uh, uh, what the fire captain in that area was talking about, these mansions that are up in the hills. Yeah. And now they're just leveled because as the mountain moved, you had boulders the size of uh, buses that just went through the house. Unbelievable. And so on the mountainside, you have two-by-fours, personal belongings, a piece of a car, just kind of It's like a war zone, really. Mm -hmm. More like, I guess, like a Well, that's how he described it. Did he? Yeah. He brought World War One specifically. I wonder so. how many. Um, I wonder how many uh, digital um, thermostats were destroyed. At least four. Mm. By the way, you remember the game Slugbug? Yeah. The, we, my wife and I started that game in California, but with Priuses. No, hold on. Oh, oh, oh. There were so many Priuses. What so do you we, call it? Slug Prius. I, we didn't really call it anything because it didn't last very long because there were so many that it wasn't, it wasn't special. A fun game anymore. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe what you should have done is like slug SUV. Those I, are very rare, aren't I they? I still don't have feeling in my left arm because of that game. Because she'd punch you? There were so many Priuses. Yeah. Slug. Or I think it's Pri-I. Or yes, Priam? Is you... it Priam or Pri-I? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, by the way, an earthquake as well. Lots of crazy uh, stuff going on. And so let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Find out what else we should be paying attention to, Terry. What's up? So again, Mudslides, California. 13 dead. Expecting more. Because they don't know if people... The problem is people could have been on vacation, but their neighbors don't know. Right, but so they're not around. We haven't seen them, so are they here? You know, because oh. they come and ask you, is, is everyone accounted for? So there's that type of situation going on as yeah. they continue cleaning up. In other news, if you watched yesterday, uh, President Trump held a uh, cabinet meeting. Not a cabinet oh. meeting, but it was a high-level discussion with Republicans and Democrats about DACA, yeah. immigration issues, and it was on TV for 50 straight minutes. Usually they bring the media in for about five minutes and then kick them out and have the meeting. Right. Well, they left them in there for 50 minutes with the cameras rolling. Wow. Mm. So you could have sat there. I didn't because I, you know, Yeah, the lose. people that but, don't have anything else to but do. But it's interesting because... You can see how this process works, how the negotiation works. Republicans say things, Democrats say things. And then President Trump was trying to kind of play the middleman. 
working both sides of the issues, like you have points, you have points, yeah. and trying to figure out. Well, at one point, they talk about uh, Diane Feinstein, yeah, senator from California. She puts out this idea: let's do a clean DACA bill. So DACA, uh, Deferred Action for Children of Immigrants that have come to the United States. The parents were illegal. The kids the were illegal. Act. The Dreamer Act. All those types of kids. 800,000 people we're dealing with here. We want a clean bill. Nothing attached to it. Just deal with that one issue. Huh. And Trump's like, yeah, let's do it. That sounds like a great plan. Wow. And then... He's he's on board. Um, what's his and name? McCarthy? Kevin like, McCarthy. The Senate Majority Leader's sitting, the Republican sitting next to Trump goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, Mr. Trump, President, what, we were, what we've were we talked about is a clean bill would be this. We're, we, we don't... If we're going to do a clean bill, you've also talked in the past about how you want a security element attached to this, the wall or something. So he's trying to nudge the president back onto the Republican talking points. And the president's like, well, I think that's what she's talking about. And he's like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like all of a sudden we almost had – remember we had the the Chuck and Nancy moment from a few months back where all the leaders are in there and he sides with the Democrats and the Republicans walk out confused like, what just happened in this meeting? But I guess so they're – you got a first-hand view of his his ability to really negotiate an issue with Democrats and Republicans, well, and what the, we found out is he can't. Well, there there were some times where he didn't seem to know the whole issue. Yeah, um, but he was trying to be the guy he talked about on the uh, on the campaign trail, be the deal maker. Yeah, right, be yeah. that guy. Except he probably needs to study up more before he starts siding with the side that he doesn't agree with. At least that's what he said. Or in the past. was he just pretending to side in that moment with? I them? don't know. Diane Feinstein almost got it done yesterday. It's, it's, She's like. Meanwhile, really? the courts acted on it. The courts have basically said. Yep, the courts came out, and the federal court, I believe in California, said that they put a pause on repealing, basically undoing DACA, saying you need to still you settle. Can't, you can't undo it. There's some court cases going on. And there's people's paperwork that's in transition, that kind of thing. So that's been put on hold. So interesting. This will, this is all in flux as they try to figure out immigration and how this is supposed to Was work. Was it a mistake that they left the press in there? Like, I mean, no. I went to a wedding where no, they're saying they did it because of the recent uh, questions of mental capacity of uh, the president. So he looks like he's fully yeah. in cap- you know, yeah. fully capable of, of doing the job. Well, by the way, if he had actually gone with um, Diane Feinstein's approach, yeah. They really would have thought he had issues. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what are you? Are you crazy? What does, that mean? what does it mean when someone folds their arms a lot when people are asking them questions? They're probably trying to protect themselves. So he does that quite a bit. Yeah. I think I think that's the sign he's he's just you know putting on the defenses. Yeah. So he tried but. to. They're trying to present him as being in command. I'm running this meeting. Just at one point, it kind of went yeah. off the rails, and oh, then yeah. the Senate Majority hey. Leader knocks it back on. And- Who hasn't run a meeting that's gone off the rails? I mean, I noticed we don't even have meetings anymore yeah. because we don't even have rails. We just had a meeting the other day that was supposed to be 30 minutes. It was an hour and 30 minutes. Really? A little off the rails. Yeah, I remember that one. That was um, – that's interesting news. Okay, yeah. good. So president's on it as far as DACA is concerned. He's, yes, trying. For, just forgot for a minute that the, he wanted to tie it to border to security. The wall. Yeah, he wants the wall. I like the idea of a clean bill, though. Yeah. But just then, vote on this one issue. Yeah, let's just get that one done. And then let's just vote on the wall issue. Let's just vote on them one by one. That seems Except to... for the Republican side sees it as amnesty. Right. So that's something Trump... And Trump's like, I'll take the heat. He goes, I understand people don't like this, but this needs to, this needs to happen. He says it needs to be a bill about love and compassion. That's great. 
The Republicans are like, well, we want a wall. Not a hey, wall, but they want more security. What's all this love and compassion stuff? In other news, a sweeping new report by congressional Democrats warned of sweeping Russian interference throughout Europe, AP reports. The 200-plus page report released by Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland, the ranking Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, comes without sign-off from Republicans on the panel. Even without GOP backing, the report recounting of Russia's operations in 19 European nations foreshadows the still unpublished Senate Intelligence Committee bipartisan inquiry into the Russia's role in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The report cites years of cyber attacks, disinformation, clandestine social media operations, financing of fringe political groups, corruption, and in the extreme, assassination attempts wow. and military operations that destabilize fledging, fledgling democratic governments in the Ukraine and Georgia. Woo! Woo! The Republicans were like, they didn't want this released. Democrats released it. Uh, it also talked about um, what Diane Feinstein released, The uh, uh, in part, released uh, Fusion GPS. They came up yeah. with the Trump dossier. Yeah. Right? They released some information showing that the, the talking points out there from some are that the Democrats paid for this. This yeah. dossier that looked at right. President Trump and all that. What, what the actual... Report says is that a source from within the Trump campaign caused the FBI to start investigating, and also uh, this Christopher Steele guy who made the dossier, he was a walk-in whistleblower at the FBI and said, "Here's some evidence I have found about what's happening with the president. I think he may be uh, tr- he might be exposed to blackmail." Oh wow! So that's where it all that's started. How it started. They're not saying the Democrat. Uh, so the report doesn't say that Democrats paid for it. The Clinton campaign paid for it, which is the news that's yeah. out there. It actually started because a guy Papadop, probably the Papadopoulos guy, who's now been indicted, yeah. blabbing in a uh, what a he was drunk in, in England. Papadopoulos. So <laughs> it, it starts within the Trump campaign. And a guy starts looking into it and sees there's blackmail. So it doesn't uh, start with the Democrats. So the story about where this comes kidding. from and all right. this stuff and gets really complicated. But again, the Democrats released it, and they're saying because the Republicans on the Senate committee were trying to kind of withhold all you, that information. Could you imagine people going after you? This is why many are saying there's no way Oprah's going to go near the presidency. Right. Because who wants a dossier on you? Who wants exactly. every little thing that's ever happened in your life turned over? It ruins your legacy. And then everyone thinks you've got mental health issues. Right. It's not worth it. No. Is I mean, really, is it worth it to be the president? No, it's not. No. He seems miserable. He does. We've all got a little dirty laundry. He does, too. More he than eats others. hamburgers in bed. Yeah, that I means... That's greasy. But, I mean, that... Tell me you Sorry. haven't eaten something weird no. in bed. Mm-mm. You know, That's like gross. an ice cream sundae. Nope. Never? Uh-uh. How about a, a Crumbs. big... Crumbs. It's gross. How about a big log of salami? No. Hmm. That Not sounds even, pretty good. The a little sto- mustard a, a on store it. I shop at has a product called Yard O Beef. How about a Yard O mm. Beef? No. <laughs> I'm not There's too much that. O in that yard. There's too much O in the yard. So you haven't you haven't had any of that? No. A- ever? Have you ever had like a, a bag of chips in bed? Yeah. No. Oh, I probably have. Oh yeah. When I was a kid, I'd I'd eat mm-hmm. at times just down in my. How about room, okay? But... This is this is definitely you'll. Have. How oh. about a Cobb salad? <laughs> I had a taco salad. <laughs> you know what the key is? If you don't want to eat in bed, don't have a TV in your bedroom. There you go. We just moved ours out of the bedroom, and we don't eat in our bed anymore. Really? Yeah. Of all the marital advice my wife has read, that's really the only one she's ever held on to. Don't have a TV. No TV in the bedroom. Well, no, but it doesn't. that made sense like in the 80s and 90s. It just doesn't make sense today. Then don't have your phone in your bedroom. 
Well, I mean, you have right. a phone, but oh, should... well, no, but the phone is the no. I know, I know. For all of us today. The, the TV, the TV will make its way back into our bedroom once I can afford the uh, the mount on the wall yes. that allows it to come forward, tilt down, uh-huh. so I can lay down. Sometimes yeah. they you cost as to... much as the TV, the mount. Yeah. Oh, it's like eight hundred dollars. Yeah, Do you remember ridiculous. watching those infomercials as a kid when they would show you like the medical bed that could sit up? Yeah, I remember thinking as a child, "Oh yeah, that <laughs> that old person has made it." <laughs> like they have a bed that just sits right up; they don't have to move anymore, and so they, it, the bed can vibrate a little bit or whatever. Warm, it has a little heating factor in it. Moving's overrated, totally, until you need to do it. So finally, yes, some more TV news. Good. Uh, national championship game for the college football playoff championship, whatever Killed they're calling it. it. It got 28.4 million viewers across ESPN. They call it their mega cast. <laughs> right? They have ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, plus you go onto their digital oh, yeah. app and there's like 20 different Hold options. On. It's and 28 stuff. million viewers. Is that good? It sounds good to me. It's but... a 13% bump from last year's championship wow. game. That's which, great. which also was kind of a last-second game. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, 13% more people watched it this year. Big Just time. to give you some perspective, I think the average episode of uh, Big Bang Theory, which is probably the number one sitcom on TV, I think it's like 13 million. Wow. Somewhere around that there. a good night. So it says Monday's game brought in $27.4 million on ESPN alone, which is up 12% from last year. So if you look at those numbers, 27.4, they're saying 28.4 total. So they got less than a million people watching all those other channels they put all that effort into. <laughs> uh, so, so I guess they, have they learned the lesson? Let's no, not they're going to do, gonna do it all the time. I love it. I sat there. I was telling you, I just yeah. flip them through. I didn't even watch the game. Well, some of those are really easy, like just the one that has stadium sound. Right. I mean, yeah. that's easy. Yeah. They said the peak audience was 30 million people. Unbelievable. Yeah. When they scored the winning touchdown, they estimate 28.4 million people were watching it at midnight Eastern. That's cool. So now, yes. where, where does that relate to the biggest TV shows of all time? Well, the biggest, so those, that would be Super Bowls. Super Bowls. Last year's Super Bowl. So they're saying 28 million people watched this yeah. championship game for college football. Last year, uh, Nielsen TV ratings for the Super Bowl, 11, 111 million people watched the game. Hmm. Right? Wow. So 111 million people watched the Super Bowl, whereas 28 million watched the college yeah. football championship. Right? So it's not even close. Yeah. You're still in the minor leagues. I didn't watch either one of them. Well, you were getting your hair cut. Took a long time. And you were probably cleaning your thermostat. Oh, I polish it now every oh, day. it's pretty. The way they have it, like some polished steel, nice yes. glass coverage. Oh, it's nice. already starting to let me down, though, because it's supposed to light up when you walk past it so that you can see uh, the temperature displayed on the thermostat. It stopped doing that. Hmm. I think Sorry. I want my money back. Just look in the instructions. It's there. There's a setting. <sighs> Oh, you guys, you're talking about a thermostat. You can also change it to show the temperature outside your house or the current time. Hmm. Any of those things. They're all options. I watched an episode of Big Bang Theory on it last night. On the display. You can't watch TV on it. That is some thermostat. I must have had something wrong with me because I was seeing Big Bang Theory on it. Okay, yeah. I think you were watching. Yeah, you were probably on your phone. Well, everybody in my house has been sick, so maybe maybe I accidentally took some NyQuil. That makes sense. Yeah. No, it's, and that makes sense what, how you got the haircut. Wait a minute. You NyQuiled up and then went out to Wait the barber. Wait a minute. How does it go from a compliment to 
No, I mean, it, it looks insults. good. I'm just saying you went out and you came back with a different do. No, you're saying I had to have been under the influence to get a haircut like this. No, no, no. That's not what I said. Hmm. That's what I inferred. We'll go, we'll go check the record. It looks really good, though. Uh, you do. You, you look like a pro basketball player. Straight ahead, folks, we will be talking about some Alzheimer's research. Interesting way to approach the study is instead of studying those that get Alzheimer's, what if we go study the people that uh, are, have the gene that they're supposed to get Alzheimer's but don't? Some professors at BYU have put together a pretty uh, amazing research study that's going to teach us a lot about uh, risk and Alzheimer's. Straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Almost 6 million people in the United States live with Alzheimer's disease, and currently there is no cure. A research group here at BYU just identified a gene variation that could protect people against the disease. Here to speak with us about his research is uh, Dr. Perry Ridge. He's a professor of biology at Brigham Young University, and uh, some pretty interesting uh, data coming out from BYU, Perry. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. That's the study that you did. Um, it's probably normal for you. It's probably not normal from what I'm sensing about um, Alzheimer's research. It seems like what we tend to do is go find the people that have Alzheimer's um, and we, we study those that have Alzheimer's to try to understand the disease. But your approach was was uh, diametrically opposed or different than that. Right. Yeah. The common approach in most genetic studies is to figure out why people get disease and then to <clears throat> develop drugs that can prevent whatever is causing disease. Um, in Alzheimer's disease, we have no effective um, drugs, uh, despite lots and lots of effort to develop effective therapeutics. And so we thought, what if we can find some people that, from a genetic standpoint, are at really high risk and should have disease, but nev- never developed it? Do they have some sort of genetics that are protecting them against developing disease? And that's what we focused on in this study. So you, how do you go about finding then people that should have Alzheimer's? So we use the um, Cache County study on memory, health, and aging. So Cache County is a study or a county here in northern Utah. Um, it has one of the lowest rates of Alzheimer's disease in the country and has one of the uh, highest life expectancies among all counties in the United States. Wow. Um, in the mid-90s, the government funded a big study to figure out what was happening in Cache County. Um, and that the people uh, that participated in the study then it was more than 90% of people over age 65 in the county have been followed since the mid-90s. Um, the data set has been augmented from time to time with additional elderly people and family members. And so we use this, uh, this data set combined with the Utah Population Database, which is a genealogical record going back to the initial settlers of Utah, um, to look at extended families. And so we wanted to identify um, individuals from Cache County who are also participants um, or who are in the Utah population database and say, which of these families have an especially high rate of Alzheimer's disease deaths? So we identified those families and then we said, are there individuals in these families who are really old, so over age 75, who are cognitively healthy, 
um, have never developed Alzheimer's disease, and we focused on those individuals. Huh. And you were actually able to go in and then target, okay, so here's people that should have it. A lot of their family members have it, but um, or extended family has it, but these people don't have it. And then you go try to figure out, is there a genetic variation? Right. So we looked at, you know, what sort of genetics do they do all of these people have in common? And uh, so we found a number of different genetic variants that they shared, and then we compared them back against um, a number of databases of individuals with Alzheimer's disease to say, okay, which of these can we filter out because they appear frequently among, Hmm. you know, affected individuals as well. So... What percentage overall of of Alzheimer's cases have a genetic component? Do we know that? Uh, we we don't know for sure. It's it's probably really high. Wow. Um, I mean the the most. Well, okay. So there there are two different types of Alzheimer's disease. There's early onset, so before age sixty five, and these are a really small minority of cases. Nearly all of those have a really strong genetic component. Um, over age sixty five. Um, it, it's more difficult to say. Probably most have a genetic component, but it's not clear exactly from a genetic standpoint what's driving yeah. it. Interesting. So if so many have uh, a genetic component, then to be able to identify what – and you were able to actually I then bring it down to a very specific gene, I guess, that that actually um, inhibits Alzheimer's. Is that what it does? It It stops it from happening. So uh, it reduces, reduces risk. Reduces it. So we, we did identify a few individuals um, in, in some of the data sets we looked at who have Alzheimer's disease who also have this genetic variant. But the difference in frequency between those who don't have disease and those who do um, was really, really significant. That's amazing. <clears throat> so, um, okay. So now we, I guess, so, so what is the name of the gene that people have that would basically say you've got the Alzheimer's gene? Well, there is really no Alzheimer's gene per se. Um, APOE is Mm -hmm. one gene where a certain version of APOE increases risk um, substantially. But but even in that, not everyone that has this particular version of the gene gets Alzheimer's disease. And then what's what's the gene you found? RAB10. RAB10. So... What do we do What and what do geneticists do once we now know that RAB10 is the gene um, that is, uh, I guess, the helpful gene? What, what do we do with that knowledge? So um, geneticists find it and then it's up to you know, uh, drug developers to say, can we mimic what this particular gene's function is um, to provide some sort of protection against Alzheimer's disease? This is, is an especially attractive target. Um, because we we found it in in elderly healthy people, yeah. So it doesn't appear that mimicking this version of the gene and its function, it doesn't appear that developing a drug that does the same thing is going to have significant side effects. Otherwise, these people wouldn't be elderly and healthy. Right. No. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so the genetic side seems like there tends to be a, maybe more hope on the genetic side of the Alzheimer's research than. Um, I guess, on other sides. Well, certainly easier to find targets and genetic variants associated with Alzheimer's disease than it is to develop a treatment. And isn't it true? I mean, I think we've talked to a lot of uh, your partners that are studying it here at BYU that the hard part, too, about the genetic or the the disease of Alzheimer's is every – Every iteration of the disease is different. It's constantly a different 
a, the disease is constantly a different thing for different people. Yeah, it looks different in everyone we look at. How are we doing overall when it comes to Alzheimer's? I mean, you, you, like you stated, there's no cure, there's no fix, but more and more people, it seems like, are, are, are suffering its effects. Yeah, so we're between 5 and 6 million people right now in the United States alone um, that have Alzheimer's disease. That number um, is going to increase really rapidly um, in, in the upcoming years. Um, and we still really can't do anything to prevent it or slow it down. Um, there are, are some lifestyle changes that um, appear to slow progression or, or slow the onset of disease. Um, exercise, formal education, protecting our brains. We want to avoid concussions and brain injuries. Um, staying socially active, getting enough sleep, being mentally healthy. These types of things appear to be helpful, um, but the, the support is still not super strong. Yeah. Boy, I just – I was going down the list like, OK, I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm not doing any of those. It's um, – boy, it's such a – it's the new cancer it seems like. It's the new – and it's affected our family. It lost my mother-in-law to probably early onset and uh, – which, you know, genetically is terrifying because now everybody's looking – everyone in my family feel like they're looking down the gun and nobody knows who's going to get shot by the Alzheimer's gun. Yeah, lots of people are really scared and as – you know, I, I interact with people I know in the community and in my neighborhood. Um, it really scares people. Um, it's no less deadly per se than, you know, a number of different diseases that we can get. But um, like I mentioned to a couple people, when you take someone's mind away, you take away what it means to be human. That's so true. And then, yeah, then we think – and if you've ever uh, cared for somebody that had Alzheimer's, you you think, man, you know, death would be better many times than not being you. Right. And in fact, you know, that's a big problem. I mean – Care for Alzheimer's disease patients right now in the United States is over $250 billion annually. Oh, wow. By 2050, that number is expected to be over a trillion dollars um, annually. And um, one of the issues is that care falls frequently to an elderly spouse or an yeah. elderly child who physically aren't in a position to be able to monitor someone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. Um, and so they – oftentimes put the, their own health at risk by cared, uh, caring for someone who has Alzheimer's disease yeah. um, and put themselves at financial risk. A by quarter doing... of a trillion dollars. <clears throat> it's a big number. It's a hu- it, that's a yeah. huge – and again, uh, I think for the la- at least the five years I've had the show here at BYU and five years before that, uh, I had a show. So for 10 years, we've been talking about it and progress – I mean, an understanding different components of it, but no real movement. Yeah. No, no I, I say no, and in, in from a therapeutic standpoint, no yeah. significant breakthroughs. Is it? Wow. Is there, um, wh- where do you see the future going? Is it going to become more of a, are we going to be studying more of the genetic side of this and then hope the pharmaceutical companies can create some therapeutic intervention? What does the future look like? So I, I, I think there's, reason to be optimistic. Um, I think curing Alzheimer's disease is going to be really difficult. Um, A person isn't really symptomatic until so much of their brain has died that things just start to shut down. Um, But I think that, you know, in the coming years, we'll we'll find a way to be able to to prevent disease. So discoveries like 
the one we made with RAB10 where we target not so much a cure but prevention, I think that those are going to be fruitful eventually. And we'll be able to come up with some therapeutic that we can give to high-risk individuals that significantly reduces their risk of developing disease. Is there a way, and this is just my naivete, to to impact the genes? Is there a way to go in and redistribute or redirect the genes? Um, so that that's called gene therapy. Yeah. Um, I'm not super familiar with the efforts that have been made. I know that there have been some attempts, not in Alzheimer's disease, but in some other um, disorders to try to actually modify genes. And I, I think the results have been kind of mixed. Yeah. It's, pre- it's, it's really interesting to, to know that like the LDS church uh, and even like the Cache Valley study, there, you're, there's really a lot of power in having a lot of this genealogical data of history, generation after generation after generation. Who would have thought that just knowing genealogical data would have had such an impact on your study? Yeah, it, it's been huge. And in fact, um, um, Utah samples, because of their large families and known pedigrees, um, have been used in a lot of human genetic studies. And the Utah Population Database, which was a resource we used for this particular study, um, has been instrumental in discovering a number of you know Im- important genes. So that the BRCA genes that are the risk genes for breast cancer, uh, the colon cancer risk genes were were all discovered using the Utah Population Database. Were they really? I did not know that. Yeah, it, it's really neat. We've even had uh, producers on the show that found out they had the BRCA gene and then had to go have interventions to make sure that they didn't get breast cancer. Um, what would you suggest? I, I mean, I mean, I'm always worried about my family, my in-laws, my uh, wife and her brothers and sisters, and I. I guess knowledge is good, but knowledge that you're looking at Alzheimer's, do you suggest people go get that information about whether they have the genes or not? Because there doesn't seem like there's a whole lot they could do except watch it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it really kind of depends on what each, each person's comfortable with. Um, I've chosen not to find out for myself. Um, just knowing myself, I, I, I think I'd be in a anxious, panic state the rest yeah. of my life if I had the genes. Um, other people, I think, feel some level of comfort and and peace knowing what potentially is coming. So I think it, it really just depends on an individual person and, and what they think will be best for them. No, I think you're right. It's amazing, too, what science opens up doors and then also just opens up more questions. I guess that's the purpose of science. Yep. Keeps moving. Keeps getting the questions uh, to be asked. Well, Perry Ridge, we appreciate you again. Perry Ridge is a professor of biology here at Brigham Young University. He's also the program director of the bioinformatics program uh, here as well. So uh, appreciate you, Perry. Thanks for your insight, your great uh, great research. All of us, uh, man, we all owe a, a debt of gratitude, I think, to these researchers that are out doing what they can every day to somehow crack this Alzheimer's code. We'll continue the discussion straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball. You know, um, again, I was as we were talking about with Perry and his research on Alzheimer's, I, I've, I've lived it firsthand um, with a, 
a grandfather-in-law who took care of his wife, Margaret, who had Alzheimer's, and then my father-in-law, my grandfather-in-law's son, who took care of my mother-in-law, who had Alzheimer's. And it is, it's just a really difficult um, disease. It's a really complicated battle that you go through. And one of the things, I guess, that I, I wanted to talk about as far as our little coach's corner is uh, the lessons that were learned in going through that, the, the the need for patience, the need to try to reinterpret why your partner's doing what they're doing. having Finally, having a diagnosis of Alzheimer's makes it a little bit easier because now you know what we can attribute all of this forgetfulness to or and 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 other things but there's there's other issues that come down the road and one of the things that i i've seen in the people i love is the the incredible opportunity that it created again horrible none of us want it but the refining process that any disease or disorder does for the caregivers of the world, whether it's mental health issues, whether it is um, Alzheimer's or whether it's Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis. When you become a caregiver and your job is to now help that person through their journey of cancer or whatever, it's – I truly believe it's a refining process and I I want to make sure that we all remember – People, life is difficult. People can be difficult. But the reason we choose to go get married is, I believe, personally, a process of refinement. Is It is a process of becoming the best human being I can become. And that can't happen without a really strong, I think, conflict, a really strong um, battle that we have to go fight against. And the battle doesn't have to be the human being that we're married to or dealing with. It could it could just be the fact that I had expectations in my marriage of one thing, and another thing has now transpired. And um, so I truly have found that marriage is one of the greatest spiritual journeys we go on. It's also one of the greatest finishing journeys that we have. And sooner or later, if you love someone and you care about people, sooner or later, at some point in your life— you're going to have to suffer the battle of loss and the battle of of difficulty. And I, I just can pretty much bear witness that it does pay off. It pays off. It's hard. It's horrendous. It's painful to lose somebody. It's also um, – it's so – empowering. It's so um, – if you turn it over to, I believe, either your higher power or your deepest beliefs and your deepest values, I, it really can be something that takes you to a completely different um, level emotionally and in a different level of character. There is a reason why uh, in the word character is also the same uh, – is the same root as C-H-A-R as charity – um, they they actually have different um, you know etymology and, um, and 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 a foundation of of where those words come from, but charity and character go hand to hand, and we need the trial and the and after the trial uh, of our faith and our belief system and our expectation system, then we can receive the be- the benefits or the blessings. 
So if you're going through this, if you have somebody in your life that is ill ill or sick or going through some battle or mental health or just a partner that has such rabid ADD or ADHD, they can't remember anything, recognize it not just as, you know, a way to be tortured, but maybe this is a way for you to become the person you need to become. What is it that you can learn from this situation that you are in? Um, And again, if you just listen to the stories of the people that are in the middle of it that can still, you know, look to a higher power for their peace, they usually tell a very different story about how this trial they're going through actually ended up over time becoming an incredible blessing as well. And I think in a weird, crazy, roundabout way, Alzheimer's can do the same thing. Um, it's also something I think that we, we need to be careful because you don't want to live your whole life in fear. You want to go live your life so that if you did contract a disease, um, that you'd be able to say you lived your life instead of just fearing your entire life about what might happen to you. Anyway, a little uh, coach's corner for you, a little hope, hopefully, that there is a lesson. And the lesson is, I believe, just as fruitful as the pain you're suffering. Ah, never easy, is it? But it is ours. It's ours to go learn and to take advantage of. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, um, as we just saw with Alzheimer's research, Sometimes the best way to to make some progress is not look at the negative, like who's got Alzheimer's, but instead look at the positive, who doesn't have it. And there are some positives about the United States. Sometimes we think it's all negative. It's all negative news. If you watch the news, it's just I watched it last night. I was just counting them up. It was just a string of negative, 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 negative. But there are some good things going on. There are. And this uh, website I follow, Axios, they put yeah. out a list of the nine things we're getting wrong and the nine things we're getting right. Uh, two things. Jeff got a new haircut. Nailed it. Totally okay. right. And uh, D, he also got a... D? Yeah, I just skipped a couple. Yeah, cool. But he also got a new thermostat did. for his house. Two very, very good things. Yeah. I want to hear what uh, B and C are nope, later on. We'll get to those. Yeah. I'll show you the video. So as they put it here, bottom line, Americans are pulling together every day to help one another. There are medical advances that will help millions, and not even D.C. is that bad all the time. Yeah. Right? We had someone on talking about how D.C. is not a complete swamp. There's some swampiness. Yeah. But it's not all swamp, right? Right. Well, so what he says, uh, the first one here, the kids are all right. Teen birth rate hit a new low in 2016, dropping 9% since 2015 and 67% since 1991. Yeah. Washington University found that teens aren't abusing alcohol, drugs, or engaging in delinquent behavior as much as they used to. Woo! So that is great forward. news. We're more envir- environmentally friendly. Uh, St. Louis, the city committed to a transition to 100% renewable energy by 2035. See if they get there. That was a challenge, but I mean, you Hold may. Who, who's St. Louis. Oh, that's St. Wow. That's great. So they currently only get 5% of their energy from renewable sources. Attaboy. So it just steps that way, trying to clean your air, yeah. clean your water. We're, and it's not like a complete, let's shove all fossil fuels out the door, but we're trying to manage things better because we're starting to notice yeah. the impact that they're having. Uh, three, technology is making a difference. Uh, this is Tesla restored electricity to a children's hospital in Puerto Rico after it was hit by the hurricanes in September. They went down there with their Powerwall technology 
and yeah. plugged it in. That t- technology didn't exist a few years ago. We'd have to bring in all these generators, right. and they don't, they're not quite as efficient, but the power wall runs off the sun. That's cool. And they're able to keep things going down there as much as you can. Uh, medical advances, we just talked about yeah. one, as research is finding more answers to things as we move forward. The FDA cleared an earpiece that may help block symptoms of opioid withdrawal. Oh, really? So that was something that's there. Uh, like, does it play... Does it play Barry Manilow? Maybe. Maybe Barry is the answer. So you actually put it oh, in your Mandy, ear. It you may help with those symptoms. Five, the, the, the economy is booming. The stock market every day, you'll see a story about new high. It's a new high since the new year. We're just There's a huge run-up. 13 states saw record lows of unemployment this year. Nationally, the unemployment level is its lowest it's been since 2000. Woo! That's big news. We're becoming more tolerant Are of we? each other. That's what he's saying here. Support for allowing, uh, let's see here, what's it go on? He goes, uh, Pew Research Survey, for the first time, a majority of baby boomers are looking, at just in general, just across the board, more tolerant to other people. That's you know, great. it's not what you see That's on great. the news. You see on the news, That's you see great. conflict constantly, but people are more tolerant. We're accepting of others. Uh, space exploration, Vice President Mike Pence said in October that the U.S. will return to the moon and not, only, not to leave a footprint. And our flags, to but to build a foundation so we can get to Mars. That's great. Now, I believe Bush and Obama had similar that weren't a dun, dun, ideas. Dun. Yeah, probably. Okay. I don't know how positive that is, but yeah. people are looking <laughs> to the future. Yeah. There's plans no, it's moving. Something. Yeah. It's something. Neighbors are looking out for one another. A man in North Carolina started a nonprofit chemo cars to serve a service that provides cancer patients with free rides to and from chemo treatments. More than 6,000 Texas inmates decided to donate $53,000 of their commissary funds to hurricane relief victims. A GoFundMe campaign raised more than $11 million for the victims of the Las Vegas shooting in October that left 58 people dead. So, I mean, people coming together, people are, are looking out for, trying to help people. You know, yeah. when there's need, America comes together. He doesn't people. do that thing that... <laughs> Thank you. Uh, he doesn't do that thing that every other car charity does where they misspell car, do they? No. You know, like K-A-R-S, no, cars C-A-R-S. for kids? C-A-R-S, chemo good, cars. Good, good. And America f- uh, Philanthropy That's is reaching... That's something he got right. American Philanthropy is reaching beyond our borders. The Carter Center, run by former President Jimmy Carter, announced in October that it, will, that it helped eliminate the disfiguring tropical disease elephantitis from two states in Nigeria. Wow. Just because of U.S. charity. That's cool. Absolutely. So there's there's some positive things going on. Charity without borders. Charities that spell correctly. Yeah. That's, that's really charity. the most important See, thing. See, America, you're doing your part now. Let's double the effort and do twice the amount. That'd be great. Proud of you. Good stuff, folks. See, it's not all bad. We are blessed. We will continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, and uh, hour number two of the program. You may not know we have two hours. We actually have three hours. Some have said it feels like five. That was my mom. I think, oh, your mom? I think yeah. you said that. My mom said At the that. break. Moms do that. Yeah. It, 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 uh, actually, the show goes really fast for me. 
But apparently for my mom, it's like, man, it goes forever. Did I tell you I went to a wedding? And no. at the wedding, they're all talking about the show. Really? Mm-hmm. A lot of fans from California. Are they talking about Jeff's hair? No one can see Jeff's they hair. They will be. We need, I think we need a webcam in here because I think it would be fascinating if they could see what we are doing in between segments. Hmm. Uh, Jeff over there fiddling with his thermostat. Yeah. And um, watching TV on it. You doing a little uh, noodle play, like mm-hmm. trying to get your moves down for your kids. Right. Isn't that a great April Fool's joke? Just from your phone while you're at work, turn down the temperature way low in your house. Just crank the AC. <laughs> See, you're, but you're going to make your wife mad. She's hmm. trying to raise a family, and you're at work messing with her thermostat. Yeah. I don't know. I, maybe you're, now you're making me think maybe I need a thermostat. Yes, you do. A smart thermostat. I think I'd rather have a smart doorbell, like the the ones that the camera goes on when someone right. comes up. I'd rather have that, I think. I want the one that there's a door lock. Yeah. Where oh, yeah. You put the app on your phone, and when you walk up to the door, it just unlocks. It knows it's you because it can sense your phone is nearby. But we never go through the front door. We well, always go know, through what, the garage. Whatever door you're on. But I want like a key fob for my house. Like I want my car just to unlock when I walk up to it. They make this. This is technology that does exist. Because yeah. it seems ridiculous that I have to unlock my car. My car should be go. My car should know it's me. Yeah, and no, I should be able to get point. in and sit down. Yeah. Why else would you be walking right up to the door but right. to open it? Right. Ah. Well. And then, then do the same thing for my house. This again, technology exists. I don't want to buy it because it's expensive. And then you got to install it. And okay, but what you guys probably aren't paying attention to is the fact that with each one of these new uh, inventions that we hang in our, fu- our house, it just means more batteries. No, mm. they just draw off the main power. Oh, do they? Yeah. I thought they were all just like no, like the, plug and the, play. The thermostat is a thermostat. It plugs into it's you. It's a real so, – yeah. so you actually – Jeff was installing a real thermostat. Yeah. He was actually had wires coming from – Yeah. See, dangerous. No, This actually, is the man that about they killed make, himself. They make it really – Easy. Though I had to decipher some stuff because I think my setup's pretty old. Yeah. They had some different terminology d- between the box that's on my wall Didn't versus what say, they put in. Thou art a homeowner. Yeah. And Thus, neatest. Thusly. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Again, Jeff, congratulations on the new installation of the of the uh, thermostat. Thank you. I'm excited. I, it's, to, we have an exciting life right now. Well, I'm excited to see uh, how fast the fire department responds. <laughs> and Terry just shows me his energy history. That's my energy history off of my thermostat. Yeah, I know, yeah, but I don't know that wow. I want to know that. What if you find out you've got a leaky my, home? My furnace ran for four and, a, four and a quarter hours yesterday. It also tells you the oh. weather inside and outside. See, I didn't tell you this, but over the Christmas holiday, our, our furnace went down. Did you get a new one? Uh, we uh, Our motor in the blower, mm. our blower motor yeah. burnt out. That's a problem. A bloater? Yeah, a bloater motor. And then the, the guy called, he's a good friend, and said, hey, um, I can come to it now, but mm. it's going to cost you a lot because it's the middle of – it was literally Christmas Eve. Yeah, they're going to charge you. So we're like – or he said what you could do is just – Light a fire. Well, and, the blower oh. was working, but it was not sounding good. Yeah. Mm. And so it was going it – it would go out, and then it would, you'd smell weird smells. Mm, so yeah. we're like, yeah, maybe we ought to yeah. – Are you sure someone wasn't just cooking in the kitchen? Nope. Mm. What are you saying about my wife's cooking? Hey, what are you saying? Are you saying that your wife is the only one that cooks? Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. I guess no, we've I all could. accused each you other of many repent. things. 
And my wife is the best cook. So your, your blower motor and your furnace making noises. And then we came to this conclusion that what we're going to do is we have fireplaces in the house. Mm. So we just used our fireplaces to heat the house. Campfires. It's good. And then he came a couple days later and it just... Did it make for a cozy Christmas? Yeah. Huddled Wait. around the fire? Mm-hmm. Did you say fireplaces, plural? Yeah. Well, you must be doing really well. Well, you know. Because <laughs> we've just got the one. Oh, man. I don't have any on purpose. Do you guys need to borrow one? No, I'm okay. Can we rent are, it? Are yours portable some way? You can pull them no, out? No, but if you want, I'll let you come over. Oh, nah, that's fine. I have, I have a fireplace for all each of us. I don't each of us s- could have our own fireplace and sit in front of it and warm yeah. your feet. We would to... love to house it for you. Never Just happening. Just go away for no. one, Never happening. three months at a time. That yeah. would, that'd be good we'll for the show, it. though, because then Jeff could go through all your stuff and then come back and tell me what he found. This guy's got weird habits. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> What's with the giraffe head hanging from your... Yeah. By the way, I, I have a the bust. Is, what do you call it? A giraffe head. Okay. Like Didn't, a trophy. Really? It, it goes through three rooms. Didn't you wake up one morning wall. with that in your sheets, and you just let out this really terrified scream? That was a no. That was a movie. That, that was a different movie. It was hmm. a horse. We don't watch movies different. like that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about wrong personality for the job. Yeah, you got to make sure you have the right personality. I've had uh, interns at other jobs where they came in, and I'm like, "This isn't going to work." And so I'm, I had to just forcefully uh, show them the door. I'm convinced we don't know how to necessarily choose the right person no. because. Who you interview isn't who they really are. Right. And in this interview, they talk about pers- we talk about personality tests. Yeah. I took one this morning. Oh, really? I, I don't know if I agree with the findings. They, well, mm. did it find that you have a personality? It did. Oh, this will be exciting. We'll find out well, what I, personality I, you have. I deleted the uh, results. Logical. Oh, come on. Logical. Not emotional, more logical. Okay. Which is true. I don't I, really react emotionally to things. No. In fact, maybe, some maybe people, should, it's like you avoid it, actually. Some people have said I'm devoid of emotion. Yeah. Which might be unhealthy. Which was your therapist that yeah. said that. Hmm. Anywho, we'll get to that. But first, let's let the unemotional one yes. uh, talk about the headlines. The British spy who compiled a controversial and unverified dossier. Bond. That alleges Russians possess compromising information about then-candidate Donald Trump, apparently went to the FBI out of fears that Trump was being blackmailed. The explosive details are just some of what have emerged from a newly public transcript of the Fusion GPS co-founder Glenn Simpson's testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, which was released by ranking Democrat Dianne Feinstein on Tuesday. Fusion GPS is famous uh, for being behind the controversial dossier compiled by this guy named Christopher Steele, who was hired by Simpson. So that's how all these people work together. Simpson. Simpson told the Senate that his testimony about Steele's fears that Trump was being blackmailed. The whole problem of compromise of Western businessmen and politicians by Russians is an essential part of its, like, disinformation. It's something they worry about a lot and deal with a lot and are trained to respond to, Simpson said. So you know, a trained intelligence officer can spot disinformation that you or I might not recognize, and certainly that was Chris's skill. And he honed it in on this issue of blackmail as being a significant national security issue. Simpson added that the FBI apparently believed Chris's information might be credible because they had other intelligence that indicated the same thing, and one of those pieces of intelligence was a human source from inside the Trump organization. Hmm. A human one. So they feel this is where the Mr. Papadopoulos, yeah. who's now been indicted for Sounds lying like to a the dance FBI. Move. Yes. He, yeah. He's indicted for lying to the FBI. 
He's been, uh, the reports came out that he was talking to an Australian diplomat in London. Yeah. And bragging. A, bragging after having a lot of drinks about having all this dirt on Hillary Clinton and he got it from the Russians. Oh, boy. Right? So <laughs> that's where this all starts. And then this steel guy starts looking into it, and he feels like maybe the president's compromised, so he goes to the FBI, and that's where this dossier comes from. Uh, by the way, and thank you for doing it, because now we use the word dossier more. We do. It's such a good thing. Plus, I didn't know that a Ford Fusion GPS right. was such a big deal. Let's just confuse the issue more. It's the name of a company. Oh, okay. They're out there doing work. President Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, hit both Fusion GPS and BuzzFeed with lawsuits Tuesday. Cohen says BuzzFeed and several of his staffers def- defamed him when the site published a 35-page dossier on January 10th. CNN reports this is uh, big news because, one, he's close to Trump. Two, he'll have to prove the dossier allegations are false in court, which means we're going to have to get a full accounting of the dossier if this goes to court. Yeah. And most of it still hasn't really been made. I mean, BuzzFeed put it out there, but then they'll have to look into it, investigate each part of it, and is this true or not versus in a court of law? Because yeah. he's saying this, you're lying about me. Right? So if you, the, all the lawsuits, like even President Trump in this book, if he sues the guy, they'll have to go to court, and then the, the author will then, if he has them, walk in and pro- uh, produce the tapes of right. all the interviews. Ugh. Yeah. The White House doesn't want that. No, 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 So no, the no, lawsuits no. will never happen. Shh, let's not talk about it's that. It's all just empty threats. Right. Federal judge in California Tuesday temporarily barred the Trump administration from ending the Obama-era program that protects young immigrants from deportation. U.S. District Judge William Alsup decided, or sided with critics of President Trump's move to kill the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, ruling that the decision to end it was improper. Alsup said the program must remain in place while several legal challenges against it play out in court, and renewal applications for those already enrolled must continue to be accepted. Really? So DACA is active through the process as they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with this between members of Congress. DACA, so far ahead. And finally, there's a good chance that when you are picking out your seat for a flight, that you prefer to sit on the right side of the airplane, a new study reports. Uh, interesting. Let's see. I, the right, yeah, facing forward, right side. I prefer that. If you're facing backwards? If I'm facing backwards, it doesn't matter which way I face. It's just going to be ugly. <laughs> It's just backwards. We used to pick it based on where we would see Mount Rainier flying into or out of Seattle. Yeah. Hmm. We don't have a Mount Rainier. No, we have mountains everywhere, so it Hmm. doesn't really matter. That's Um, interesting. People choose the right side. Yeah, it says the preference which was discovered across a group of 32 right-handed people apparently indicates our minds a rightward bias in representing the real world. Really? Which is why left-hand people have such a tough time. So the right side is the real world. The left that, side in our minds, that's how it's represented. We have yeah. a bias that way. Well, that's says, why Republicans are the real people. They're well, while the lefties. Yeah, depends on who you talk to. The the order to rule out the possibility that people are just preferred to click one side of their computer screen when choosing a seat on a plane. Participants in the study were presented with seating diagrams with the plane facing either upwards or downwards. The result clearly showed that the orientation of the plane made no difference to the preference, uh, with most participants still making an active choice to choose a seat on the right of the plane. The study additionally found that people have a preference for seats towards the front of the aircraft and a preference to favor window and aisle seats, which is, of course, no one wants to sit in the middle. Who wants to sit in the middle? I love the middle. 
said nobody. You love the middle seat? Well, because you have to pay extra for the pillow and blanket. So in, in an effort to keep warm, I like to be in the middle of the two people. They keep me warm. And then you just use their pillow and blanket? No. Can we share? Do you mind if I share this pillow? I just may doze off. To the left or to the right. So it says because of the small sample size and the specifics of, <clears throat> of the people chosen to participate in the study. So everyone in the study, 21 to 31 people, they were between the ages of 21 and 31. There was only 32 people, and they were all right-handed. Right. So they're saying there might be some bias there. Yeah. So it says there's still much to learn about the rightward bias on airplanes. Would left-handers, for example, have preferred the left side of the aircraft? Uh, these results of researchers' rights may have implications for our understanding of asymmetrics in cognition, as well as having potentially important practical implications for airlines. Really? Yeah, I mean, you don't want everyone sitting on one side of the plane. It'll well, tip. No, you just the plane would just start to lean yeah. to the right. Are you less likely to die if you're on the right? I'm not sure. Or do you die equally right or left? I'm not sure. I guess the reality is you'd end up on the then left side the of the plane. There's the whole in front of the engine versus behind the engine. I think you'd be less likely. I think you'd be less or more likely to survive because all the what you're saying is maybe the selfish people are on the right because they're getting what they want first. They would probably be the first ones to save themselves. Well, but you understand. Is that going too far? Probably, probably. <laughs> but you understand in 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 the event of an actual accident, mm. the selfish people will be. All over the place, and the unselfish people will be all over the place. It won't matter. Interesting. Whether you're selfish or not. I, so you're saying a nature and uh, just natural causes that they don't discriminate. Yeah. Hmm. Gravity operates equally on everybody. Hmm. See, my question, and the, and the stopping of an airplane at 300 miles an hour operates equally. So, several years ago, me and my sister flew to California for a family get-together oh, cool. there, right? Yeah. Early, early morning flight. You get on the plane. There's like 10 people flying. No one's on this Sweet. airplane. Right? So you can sit wherever you want because it's one of these airlines that just kind of sit wherever. So you walk in. I sit down in a seat. My sister sits right next to me. What? I look over at her. I go, we have the entire airplane. Sit on the other side. And she just sat right next to oh, me. Oh, but she, was she afraid? Um, or does she just love you and want to bond with you? She's, she's I, probably concerned. She was probably she's a concerned. lovely woman. James right. Bond. Yeah. You she started was, it. She was probably concerned with sitting yeah, maybe did. somebody else's seat. But I'm like, there's nobody on the on the flight. Just get – so she moved away. Oh, Terry. I mean, the one thing – I mean, this is like in the movie theater. When guys go in and sit down, if you go with a bunch of guys, you sit every other seat. You don't sit right next to each other. If no, you right. go with somebody, you sit next to them. Wow. Everyone sits every other seat when wow. I go. But that's how you know who your real friends are. Go to the movies with them, see where they sit. No, guys like to spread out. They want everybody wants their own armrest. You don't want to like ask Bob to move. Come on, man, I need the armrest. <laughs> no, you want your own armrests. As a rule, I don't have any friends named Bob. Well, there you go. Robert? <laughs> I actually have a brother named Robert, okay, but he doesn't go by Robert. I mean, he's not Robbie? his friend. He's his brother. It's different. But see, your sister just – that was. in fact, this yeah. is a great teaching moment. Oh, boy. Your sister wanted to connect with you. Yeah. She well, wanted – We did. She thought we were – she thought we, air quotes, you guys were having like a fun – Well, how were we supposed to connect when immediately I put my headphones in? No, 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 no. But you don't. What I you th- did. No, but you, you turn to her and you say, how are you doing? Mm. How, how do you feel about flying? <laughs> what can I do to make your life easier? But I brought all this equipment to listen to podcasts.
podcasts, and music, and, and then when they books, they bring like the the, the snack the cart, extra snack foods. Yeah, yeah. You're like, can I buy you something? Do you want some Pringles? No, Let the, me buy you the some biscotti's Pringles. free. She and just then gets you, one of those. Then you find out the price. Is there anything cheaper you might like? God, <laughs> you have peanuts or something? Oh, you guys, you're a piece of work. I like this music though. Yeah, it just it just bugged me. We had our choice of any seat on the plane, and she sat right next to me. Uh, what does that say? No, even my wife would be like, you know, you could sit over there and stretch out Whoa. a little bit. Whoa. Whoa. I'd ask. I wouldn't like, you know, Whoa. I wouldn't say move. I'd say, well, you know, what about? And she'd say no. I mean, I know. Move on. I mean, I know we're I know we're promised to each other for eternity and everything, yeah. but. Is that every moment? Do we have to sit so close right now? Yeah, come on. Were you on the right side of the plane, by the way? Uh, We were. Of course you were. Yeah. I don't sit on the left. Jeff, Jeff thinks kind of a monster you think people. I am. <laughs> hey, let's get to the headlines, the empty news headlines with uh, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Jeffrey? The empty news team. First on the scene, fifth on facts. This one's kind of fun. And speaking of, we were just talking about airports. I mentioned Seattle. This happened at uh, in Seattle, and I assume it's the SeaTac Airport. Yes. Because that's the airport. Uh, authorities say a wrapped present temporarily halted service at a Seattle ferry terminal while police investigated. Washington State Patrol Trooper Kevin Fortino says troopers were notified Tuesday that a suspicious package was found beneath a Christmas tree in the pedestrian waiting area. Fortino says the package was deemed suspicious because it was unmarked and was the only gift under the tree. We're all a little suspicious whenever there's only one present under the tree, right? That's right. That's right. Something's not right. Officials evacuated the terminal and kept all inbound ferries away for about a half hour while the police bomb squad investigated. I'm going to give you five choices as our little... what are we calling this? Our Mat- Matlibs Mat segment okay. to see if you can guess what the mysterious package was. Okay, I'm going to take notes. All right. So let's begin. Was it A, a fruitcake? B, an ugly sweater? Remember, this is Christmas time. Right. C, an elf on the shelf? <laughs> D, sleigh bells? Okay. Or E, an empty shoebox. Okay. I know the answer. Are you, you ready? You do. Yeah. It is obviously D or E, an empty shoebox. What? Okay. So it's not the shoebox. I, I thought that was for sure the shoebox. Well, see, the others are just so stereotypical Christmas. Really? Yes. So that was the only outlier. So you went with the outlier. And you knew I would. And you do were that. wrong. I know because you're tricking me. Um, <laughs> so what I would go with is so what would a, what would an airport be willing to spend money on to Let, put in a box? Uh, bells. Let me give you a little clue. What this is something that over the years people have maybe suggested that uh, it is weaponized. Okay. It's that... kind of the punchline of so many Christmas jokes. Yes. It's an elf on the shelf holding a fruitcake. You got half of it, right? Yeah. It's just the fruitcake. It's a fruitcake. But yeah. that makes sense because they could have a fruitcake from one year and then just keep it and keep it forever. That should be the joke there now. That yeah. should be their little company joke at the airport. That's a great joke. Uh, yeah. Weaponized fruitcake. You've heard of it before. Uh, yeah. 
I I actually made the mistake once of um, I, I a woman that I knew that was a ninety five year old woman made a cake that I loved her cake mm-hmm. and then um, I mistakenly said I loved her cake and she thought I said her fruit cake Ooh, so she made me a fruit no. cake that I didn't love as much as her cake and then every year as when she was alive she'd make me a fruit cake oh. That is beautiful service. For you know, her. I don't think I've ever had a fruitcake. Oh, really? I love Jim Gaffigan's routine on fruitcake, though. How does he that suggests go? that maybe the ingredients in fruitcake are really just all the leftover junk that was on a, a baker's table yeah. at the end of the day. Ah, just yeah. put all this stuff in there. It's like after Christmas, though. You just want to get rid of all the treats and you put it into one cake. Sure. Mm. We don't want to be wasteful. Yeah, but I'm sure somebody out there has had a really good fruitcake somewhere. Because the idea continues. Hmm. It continues. Well, coming up, we'll have some more empty news. We've got uh, somebody making a an explosive – well, not an explosive, a crashing or smashing entrance Ooh. into a dealership. Excellent. Uh, we have somebody – or we have a new museum in L.A. Oh, really? That has to do with selfies. Oh, no. And then we have people that uh, – Basically drive right to a police station to be arrested. Oh, how convenient. Yes. A good citizen. Self-arrest. We will get to all of those stories. And uh, coming up next, we'll be talking about uh, the wrong personality for the job. How to make sure you're, you're finding the job that fits you. Straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. So I had a job interview for a certain position at a company. I can't say what company, but um, yeah, they they uh, gave me a structured personality interview where they asked me questions about my personality. Wow. Just one by one, they just started. But you're a personality expert. I mean, your expertise is in studying personality and, I guess, social social psychology. Yes. Yeah. I literally wrote my dissertation on personality assessment. So it's kind of an interesting experience. <laughs> How wild. Personality screening. <laughs> and, and so you, you've just gone to some uh, job interview, which even how you describe how they, they kind of got you to get to the interview, it wasn't a real personal experience anyway. No, yeah, I got I got kind of an automated email that said, call this toll-free number to set up your interview. So wow. that, as you can see, it was off to a great start right there. <laughs> I really felt warm. It felt warm and welcoming. And then they sat down with you and started uh, going through a personality kind of interview. Talk about how that works. What is What is that? I mean, I've heard of behavioral interviewing, but what is personality interviewing like? <clears throat> Structured interview, which meant that the interviewer had to ask specific questions, and I could only answer in certain ways. So I could only answer yes or no or um, of a certain option, um, as she indicated. So, for example, she said, are you a responsible person? And I would either be able to answer yes or no, but I couldn't answer anything in between. Wow. And what is the goal here? I guess this is to actually see if you have the right personality that they need for this job. Yeah, I mean, I've thought a lot about it. I think it's partly that, and I think it's partly to see how you do in these kind of intense, structured interview formats where you kind of have to – it's almost a forced choice format where you have to choose between two options, which aren't great. So, for example, one of the things that asked me was, are you the most responsible person you know? 
Um, and I couldn't, you know, I had to answer um, uh, yes or no. And that can, you know, that's like kind of a murky question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what if you don't know anybody? <laughs> then I guess you are by default. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> that's an easy one. And I guess, are they sitting there on their laptop uh, then typing in each answer? It, it was a phone interview, so I assume so. I mean, I heard her typing in the background, so yeah, I think so. How interesting. And I guess at the end of this, um, what happened? I guess you were you were advised that you had the wrong personality for the job. <laughs> well, she asked me a series. She asked me a whole series of questions, which were all kind of increasingly frustrating as it went on. Like, are you perfect? And then um, she told me at the end of the end of the interview that they would get back to me in three to five business days, which in and of itself is kind of hilarious. Just three to five business days. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then I got an email, just an automated email, saying that um, I wasn't a good fit for the job, uh, that I did not pass their personality screening. But you were more than qualified, more than able, educated enough. You had the skills, the tools to do the job. You just were rejected by personality. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And uh, that was the funny thing. They actually never asked me about my qualifications for the job. Oh, they didn't? But they apparently knew of you because they basically headhunted you. Um, well, they have my resume. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. Now, so um, is this, do you do you know, is this a fairly normal practice now in interviewing? <clears throat> um, I've never had a personality interview quite like that. Um, I think all of these interviews get at your personality in various ways. I mean, I've definitely taken personality questionnaires for interviews before, um, just on the computer or on paper. But I think the other, you know, the other really popular way you mentioned before is behavioral interviewing. Yeah. And that's asking about your personality in specific contexts as revealed through your behavior. And I think that might be a better way of getting at one's personality in a less obvious way. Yeah, that's one where they'll say, give me an example of where you had to go against what your boss was saying or something. Absolutely. And then then they they want to see how you behave and uh, how you explain your behavior. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, one of the themes of my research and some of the research coming out of personality is that it's much better revealed um, by what you do in specific situations rather than just asking something about somebody <laughs> about their personality traits. Yeah. Well, it's almost like they're, they're and it's a little, I don't know, it, um, it's almost like deceptive in a way. It's, it's like putting you on a lie detector <laughs> instead of just, <laughs> instead of just letting you express and if if they're forcing you into these yes or no kind of questions it seems like it would be better to to let people just talk and their personality would come out their behavior would come out it just seems like it's a better device to understand someone yeah yeah i agree i mean or just let them watch the bachelor and then just watch how they react (laughs) you know what i mean that would work too that sounds like a good personality. <laughs> Talk about um, personality just in your in the job. I mean, th- it's a funny thing because we we tend to not know. We hire these people, they come in, and then the next thing we know, they drive us crazy. <laughs> and personality is a hard thing, really, to to peg, isn't it? And we we might get skills, we get the resume, but it's the personality that might be the hardest thing to work with. Absolutely, yeah. And I think looking at people's behavior in context 
you learn so much about them. Like, you know, what does somebody do in the most difficult social situations? What do they do in the most benign, friendly social situations? And that's, I think, when personality is best revealed. That's why, I mean, I think it makes sense that these companies are shifting towards behavioral interviewing so they can really get a read on that. Yeah. Is it, let me ask you this, can you train personality or is it, is it the, is it what we're born with? Um, I think we are. I mean, part of personality is certainly genetic, you know, in terms of our temperament. But um, but no, I mean, like, personality changes over time. And they used to think that personality was set like plaster. That's what everybody said, set like plaster um, after age 30. But now we're finding that personality changes throughout your lifespan. And it changes in response to situations and the situations you encounter. I mean, like, the situations you're going to encounter are going to change as well. So, I think you can certainly change your personality, especially if you can identify how you're behaving in the most problematic situations. Yeah. And is it uh, – yeah, because you, you could start to see if, you, if you're not getting the results you need, you probably ought to reevaluate what your, your personality. You probably ought to evaluate, reevaluate you and what's going on. How do you keep getting fired? What is it about your personality that might impact it? Can can people assess their own personality, or do they need, you know, others to help them do that? I think, yeah. I mean, I think you need help from something, you know, whether it's an assessment or somebody else kind of giving you a little bit of advice. Yeah, what do you say? You know, maybe if you're getting fired from every job, it's like, you know, maybe that's the time to go to a friend or a coworker who you trust and say, what do you think this is about? You know, do you think there's something I could be doing better? Yeah, it's um, it's such a it's such a crazy science. And I look at businesses and I sit there and I think they're doing a personality assessment. Probably some com- some company has come from the outside, pitched them on the idea that this is brilliant. We will get in and assess each of your jobs, each of your, you know, different uh, workplaces and figure out the ideal personality type. But it, it seems like that's just a myth. There, is there an ideal personality type for a job or is there just one that's more – I mean you could be an introvert and love cells. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, mean, so, I think – Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, I think – yeah, I think that – I don't know if there's a personality type, but I think certainly qualities for certain jobs are great to have. You know, I think like flexibility, for example, is something that is probably valued in many jobs. But I don't know if there's a personality type because, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, sometimes introverts excel. You know, like I know introverts who are journalists yeah. and they love that. Um, so it really just I think it just depends on who you are and how flexible you're willing to be and if you can gain those specific qualities that are good for the job. Right. And in the end, um, I mean, I guess we we had a guest on yesterday that was just talking about the fact that uh, even in social or in uh, psychology and a lot of the research we're doing, we know it's always kind of been the nature nurture argument. And because nurture was our our nature was always harder historically to figure out genetics and Mm -hmm. and DNA and everything that was more difficult than just figuring out some of the influences dad or mom may have directly. We tend to overlook genetics, but uh, humans are complex and we're even more complex than our personality. Like you were saying, my personality may be affected by the fact that, you know, someone in my family near and dear to me is dying. 
and that may adjust mm-hmm. me for a year. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, our personalities change. And, you know, I think that in terms of, yeah, I mean, in terms of um, environment versus genetics, I mean, like, as, you know, more of a psychologist and less, you know, on the bio, um, biological side of things, I just focus on what I can measure. And we can we can measure things in people's environments and how they react to them. Right. Is what what should we be doing as as you've kind of learned going through this type of interview process? Are there things that we could do to better prepare for this this type of interview um, or any interview in order to kind of be more relaxed, be more who we are and maybe somehow convey that? Yeah, I mean, I think the the hard thing to do is actually just to not be nervous. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I think like the more and more you do these things, you just realize that, I mean, these things are really low stakes because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you can do a fantastic job and feel like you really knocked it out of the park and then you don't get called back. It's just, it's so out of your control that I think the best thing to do is just to relax, to answer honestly. You know, with that, with that very strange interview that I had, I just, I just tried to answer honestly because, you know, when that when they asked me if I was the best, I said no because I'm not the best. I mean, I don't yeah. even really know what that question means. But I think to say anything else is doing a disservice to yourself um, just because you don't want to get a job that's not a good fit for you and that you got um, dishonestly. Um, so I think, yeah, my best advice for that is just – Realize that it's really low stakes and it's out of your control and just try to be relaxed and yourself. And, and you know, of course, you know, you want to do all the normal things like do your research on the company beforehand so you yeah. can get a sense for, yeah. I mean, that's a great advice. You don't, you don't want to lie and then get the job and then be like, what the heck? These guys are strange. <laughs> it's totally true. Absolutely. Dr. Yeah. Anna Hartley, we appreciate you and that great, uh, great work. And the article is in Psychology Today, Wrong Personality for the Job. If you just go to psychologytoday.com and um, look up Anna Hartley, great information for all of us. Stick to it. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Continue what other things we should be doing and could be doing to, um, you know, make sure that we understand ourselves and are more self-aware of our own lives. You know, we're the only person we've got. So everything depends on our ability to understand ourselves. Stick with us. We'll come back. Continue the discussion. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, jobs, they're hard to get, right? And for the last 10 years or so, there's a lot of pressure. The economy was falling apart. Everybody was closing doors. You needed to get a job. So then all of a sudden you go jump in on a job and you're thinking, ah, I'll get another one when life gets better. So be careful when you are uh, doing when you're going in for your interview, you don't need to be psyched out, but you could just just be yourself. Like I remember Terry's interview for this wonderful job. Wasn't that great? Remember you were sweating all over? Oh, was I had a jacket on? 
Oh, did you? Yeah. Were you wearing a jacket? It was kind of a cold day. I wore my leather jacket because I, I thought it was more yeah. of a power type jacket. Walked in, sat down, and just sat there and comfortably explained to you. Man, it was kind of a mansplain situation. It was weird. I was just telling you all how to do your jobs. Uh-huh. Complimenting you, but it was kind of backhanded, yeah. too. And then I remember your jacket kept making squeaking noises. Well, it does. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I had a nice really tie weird. on. Did you? Yeah, I dressed up. I don't remember the tie. No. I just remember your upper lip shaking and your no, I wasn't, sweating profusely. I wasn't like intimidated. I figured I've done this before. You guys are the ones coming to me. so. But I do remember um, <laughs> that it was weird because you would every once in a while like throw in a Marvel comic no, comment. No, I was careful not to mention anything of that. I didn't want to cause any problems. To infinity and beyond. No, I, I never, remember when I never, you said that. I never said that. That was awkward. Nope, nope. Those are good times. Well, you're killing it. You're killing it now. Um, okay. This is one of the greatest moments, too, is when uh, we did hire Terry on, we had to get him a cubicle. I've never had a desk of my own. I still don't. But I never had a place where I could go sit and yeah. do work. All the radio stations I worked at before, you just kind of worked in the studio and then left. Wow. But yeah. you, you have a nice little setup because you're not out – with everyone else, you kind of have your own little office all the, suite. All the students here at uh, BYU Broadcasting sit in pods. Yeah. So it's like three desks sort of together. So three it's, peas. It's a cubicle without the walls mm-hmm. type of situation, and it's kind of loud. And yeah. Someone, hosts of shows, will just walk out into the middle of the the area of uh, that sort of office space and just start talking really loudly. Start about, yelling. Yeah, making fun of- Where's uh, my other, script? Yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm clear in the back, Yeah, down a hallway, yeah. back doors just around the corner so uh, I can make quick escapes if I need it. to. And you just go back there. And, and you're people... so far away, no one's going to walk there. No. I mean, unless it, you got to get your steps It in. is a deterrent. People go, wow, you're really far. You've called me on like I the desk phone that I, I never touched. I to have your office location. I look over at that phone and go, who's calling me? Mine is right at the intersection of the main hallways. Yeah. So I got people coming from everywhere. Yeah. They walk down the hallway and they're staring right at you as you're sitting at your desk. And they bring, it's like they'll bring a tour through mm. and my door will be shut and the whole tour will stop and everyone will look. Like peek in the window. Yeah, look at the monkey. What's he doing? <laughs> Hi. Why is he on his desk? That's weird. Yeah, why is his head? Why is he asleep? <laughs> What's that mark on his forehead? I interviewed at a, what are they? They're an internet marketing company. Uh-huh. And what they did, this company, was they had a contract with a com- with several companies, one of them, DirecTV. And what they would do is they would set up a altern- alternate DirecTV.com website. Really? So that when you'd search for DirecTV... You would get one, there's like one, two, three, and they would have two, one of them's the actual DirecTV, the other two they would operate. Oh, it's a trick. And then so you, basically in the search, you would end up at one of those three sites. DirecTV would either get you or this marketing firm would get you and then they would funnel you back to DirecTV. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm like, is that why every search that I do, I always end up at the same place? Maybe. It just seemed odd because you, when it comes down to it, you don't know who owns the website when it's even the name of the company.com. It could be anybody, and they're just working with that other company to make sure they get all referrals funneled back to them. That is a travesty. Yeah. So they're asking me all this stuff about social media, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I tweet, I put stuff on the web. (laughs) 
I, I done no tweeted idea. before. I've tweeted, <laughs> and I Facebook all the time. And that's probably what it sounded like too. I thought I sounded pretty convincing, but yeah, you could tell by halfway through the interviewer just put her feet up on the desk and so you worked in sports radio before. And I went, yeah. And he go, how was what was that like? I'm like, okay, now you're asking me stuff that has nothing okay. to do with it. I got it. Now I got the. Can job. I go now? Are we done? <laughs> Is that when you knew she gave up on you? Yeah. So I just started. You know, I had some time. I was, it's scary looking for a job, right? You were chasing. I mean, it's hard. You yeah. then all of a sudden. You could even feel like a failure. Like, why is this not happening? Why am I not getting yeah. a job? Family members were really concerned about it. What did it. they say? Like, My they mom would call me you. and she goes, I just want you to know that we love you. And I'm like, Mom, I'm okay. I don't need you to, you know, have an we intervention. Don't think you're a mess. Hopefully she's not listening mom? and gets mad. Uh, my wife was concerned. She'd yeah. call me every once in a while. I was trying to stay just uh, – I'm going to go learn something new. Right, I'm trying cool. to stay positive, trying to, to keep doing something every day. And now that I look back at it, I should have just played video games. But you were growing your beard out and it did no. reach your belly button. I shaved every – no, I didn't shave. I just let it grow. Who cares? I shaved on Saturdays. Yeah. Once a week. Saturday's the special day. It's the day you get ready for Sunday. Well, basically, yeah. So you'd shave up on Saturday, <laughs> and then you'd just kind of get all hairy the rest of the week. Yeah. But then weren't you walk, also walking around your neighborhood in slippers muttering to yourself? No, I was not. Okay. I thought that was In fact, most, most of my neighbors had no idea. That's what I Because my hours are weird and I'm home in the middle of the afternoon anyways, yeah. norm, most days. <laughs> this is, by the way, this job, you get up very early to get here and you leave early and this is kind of a nice deal for you because you're not, you're not working as much and you get a ton of time with your little fella. Right. To, That's a bonus. To beat him up with a sponge with I, a, a pool. It's a pool noodle, okay? Sure. You make it sound like it's so much more than no, what no, no, it no. is. Tell the uh, welfare authorities, the child welfare authorities, that <laughs> you don't need to defend anything to me. So the, the, the personality in a workplace is very important. Super important. If you, you Like you talked about, you hire somebody and then they're just uh, yeah. they're annoying. What do you do? You fire them. Well, you can try to find a reason, I guess. Some but. people can't. Sometimes you can't fire people. No. I mean, there are people that could exist in an organization for 20 years. Simply because nobody could fire them. As I found out in like state government offices, yeah. those type of they're able to they're just it's a hard process to get someone out of a company right. because there's been lawsuits and you want to make sure you have everything covered and there's documentation and then somewhere along the line somebody doesn't document something so you got to start over the start process over, do it again it could, I, I I shared a story in here it said it would take up to six months in most federal government offices to separate an employee to fire somebody to get physically get them so they're not working in on the payroll well, and anymore. some employees wouldn't leave. So you would think, well, I'll just be obnoxious or do something so annoying they'll have to leave, but they don't. They have appeals processes. So it just makes it go longer and longer. And there's there's like a point where it's like this person can't function here. Yeah. It's hard too when you're counting down and you know that I've only got 13 more years till <laughs> my pension I'm kicks fully in, right? vested. Yeah. And that's a scary thing when you're counting down and your years are that far away. Yeah. Maybe... And then there's private companies where they just walk in the door and say, you're fired. You're fired. Sorry. Which is what happened to me. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a slap in the face, too. You're like, whoa, hey, what, what happened? I thought I just, okay. Did they hear about the lightsaber thing? Oh, they probably thought that was funny. Oh, I thought, and that was way before that. Uh, that's why they The lightsaber you. thing really kicked in when I was unemployed. Oh, yeah, because you had more time. <laughs> that and more aggression. More aggression. <laughs> Daddy's getting his aggression out playing Come lightsaber. Here. Let's get all this Come anger here, out. Son. Oh, that's fun. Good times. Um Okay, so let me ask you this. Yes. Uh, you've heard of a grammar Nazi? I have. Uh, do you know any? I live with one, sort of. Your son? My wife. Okay. Uh, 
new research out. So if you know a grammar Nazi, pay attention. This story is critically important. Grammar Nazi, you know, someone who constantly points out your typos, your grammatical errors, the things that they don't like mm-hmm. that you're saying. Um, according to a latest study, um, these type of people are generally less open and more likely to judge you for your mistakes more negatively uh, than anyone else. And so the research shows we don't like these people and on average these people aren't seen positively. They're not likable. It seems interesting like, duh. You're constantly correcting people. Mm -hmm. That's not something, an attribute people are going to think, that's positive, I like that. I'm just trying to help you. I need that in my daily life. Your grammar is horrible. The study was carried out by researchers at the University of Michigan, and it is the first to show that an individual's personality traits can actually determine how one reacts to typos and grammatical errors. They found that extroverted people are much more likely to overlook typos and grammatical errors, whereas introverted people were more likely to judge the person who make such errors more negatively because of them. Hmm. These people are – they might be just be introverted and they go in their mind and they go to their happy place and they're like, oh, I, there's a correction. I could, I could share my insight and help fix this person's horrible grammar. And the I main, have skills to share. Let me show you. So this may be defining the battle between the, um, the introvert and the extrovert. The introvert right. is silently critiquing and the extrovert is just spewing language errors. <laughs> well, there comes a point where you're, if you're trained to look for errors and you see them and you can point them out and you can see something's misspelled, it annoys people. Yeah. So things must be fixed. No. You know, so they want to, to correct and help other people yeah. get to that point no, in life no. where they can fix these problems. No, no. just shush. They're helping. Keep it in. Keep it in. You're an introvert. Don't say anything. I'm an introvert. Nobody believes that. But I am. I right. Don't, I don't critique people's grammar, though. As you're standing in front of mass crowds giving public speeches several times a month. Mm-hmm. And on the radio. And then I sit alone in my car in heaven. Just decompress? Listening to Barry Manilow. <sighs> well, Barry's good. Life is good. Life is good. Hey, uh, we'll take a break, uh, come back, and continue um, our discussions, folks. When it comes down to it, uh, we all got to get better, right? The goal of the show is to help you see the good in the world, learn the latest and greatest research, and do something with it. Stick with us. We'll have fun. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as, we, uh, as we're wrapping up this hour, let's get to uh, Jeff to give us a little more empty news. I wanted to take you to a museum that is a little more highbrow than most museums. Excellent. This is the Museum of Selfies that is opening in L.A. next month <laughs> and charging visitors $25 a ticket. The attraction will show selfie-inspired art and will also have plenty of areas designed to look good when visitors want to take their own picture. For any uh, Game of Thrones fans, there will also be an Iron Throne made up of selfie sticks. The co-founders came up with the idea because they reckon the modern museum-goer doesn't just want to look at art. They want to take pictures of themselves with it. (laughs) The co-founders say the relationship between people and art has changed. They continued, people want to be a part of the art. 
There are many more selfies with the Mona Lisa than actual Mona Lisas. There will also be some serious exhibits in the museum, like an area dedicated to people who have died trying to take a selfie. <sighs> Doesn't this make you just feel more sophisticated and highbrow Ab- and absolutely. cultured, really?、Mm-hmm. I like to go up to people and say, "Will you please take a selfie of me?" Yeah, but that wouldn't be a selfie. Oh, Matt. <laughs> There's so much you need to know. I thought you were going to say I like to go up to people and say, "Do you have some gray poupon?" <laughs> But you didn't say that. No, no. Would you please take a selfie of me? And then I just look at the expression on their face. Gotcha. Okay, selfie museum. What will happen next? Tons of fun straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and take selfies and go to the museum. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at one eight five five Chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. He's back. He's got a new haircut. He's ready to rock and roll. You look good. You must really be impressed because this is like you've brought it up every hour. I can't stop looking at it. Well, I、you、am standing little, right in front of you. You got、literally. a little.、Um, I'm standing. Yeah. So you got a like a little wave of your hair. It's it's incredible. And it's waving hello to you. It's the wave that never ends. Well,、uh, we got a lot to、uh, get into and explore with each other today. Of course.、Um, Terry, we're going to talk about Terry's haircut tomorrow. You getting a haircut tomorrow, Terry? <laughs> no, I'm not. No, darn it! I want to get one for a couple months. I gave you the,、uh, a, a priceless opportunity on the show a while back. Speaking、What? of haircuts, yeah, you had been away for quite a while, and、mm-hmm. I'd been hosting for a week or two. And I told Spencer and Jeremy on the air, if Matt Townsend is here tomorrow, I will shave my head. I know, I know, but and you didn't do it. Well, you almost did. Apparently, it looks pretty. I mean, I can see white walls. Hmm. You've you've taken it down to the root. I can see your gray hair. I, I have no gray hair up there. I、uh, when I was getting my haircut last, I, I looked down at my black cover that they were they put over me, and I saw all this white hair. No, come on. And I'm like, did you, you did you not clean off this cover from your last visitor? And she said, "Oh no, that's your hair." Oh, I'm sure it was just dipped slightly in the shaving cream that they applied to your neck. Maybe that's it. Maybe、yeah. it was the the lighting.、Mm-hmm. But I could not believe the amount of white hair I had. Do you get a warm shave when you get a haircut? No, that's very nice. Look for a place like that. It's well worth the experience. Well, I've a had a warm the shave. They put the it, the hot towel. Do you, you, do you get, get your、nice... hair washed? No, I don't because、uh, the places that do that they usually lean you back into some sort of sink, yeah. And then my neck gets some sort of like crook in it for the rest of the day. It's all bent out of shape. Oh, like, I, no, think no, it, no, no. I think it feels delightful. No, it feels delightful. I just feel weird. The best haircut、strange. I ever got was in Russia, if you can believe that. Really, that guy was amazing. What's a、he、Russian took, haircut like? He took the back of his fingers and he like batted them against my neck. Yeah. And I can't quite、oh. tell what that did for the hair, but no, it, it made my comfort level skyrocket. Well, I think what it was is there was a bug. He was trying. I was to just、get. trying to shoot it off. Yeah, 
It felt like, amazing. Yeah. It's the best haircut I ever had. Russian. Russia. So if if you need a haircut, one of the one of the big takeaways from today's show is get to Russia. Mm-hmm. Or um get a hot massage get a hot shave while you're at it. That's great. I don't like any of that because it it makes me stay there longer and I feel like we're creating a completely different relationship yeah. when they're rubbing your head and yeah. and shaving your face. That's why my it's very intimate. My wife is very intent on the couples massage for our anniversary. Yeah, that's great. I'm very against the couples massage. Mm-hmm. People touching me, eh, don't need it. Yeah. Moving on. I go, you can take your sister and have a wonderful day. Oh. Happy anniversary. But that's not a couple's massage. Like, she well, want, well, your wife wants to yeah. be able to, t- to turn her head and look you in the eyes and just say, I am so glad that we are together. That's great. We could do that at dinner. Yeah, but you'll be. You'll we'll have just, a little candle in the middle flickering to eh. give it that low it's different sort of mood when, lighting. when it's like, I am yeah. so glad we're together. Right. How about the massage therapist that uh, wants to start a conversation while they're rubbing you down? Yeah. That's not what you're paying for. No. You're paying for silence. Yeah. You're paying for the, uh, the zen music. Mm-hmm. That drip. Of the fountain that always makes me think, I think I need to go to the bathroom. Actually, I think that's your slobber hitting the floor. Isn't it weird too? And you've seen, you've seen this where they're always – they touch you as they go around you because mm-hmm. they want you to know where they are. Have you ever felt like – because I learned to do that. Whenever you go around a horse, always keep a hand on them so they kind of know where you are as you're going around. Hmm. Like the backside. So then this, this lady would – she'd keep her hand on me as she'd walk around so that – I, I guess I – so I, she knew – I don't know. So I didn't kick her? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just have all these little bits of weird information in my head and then I try to put them together and I feel like you know sometimes they don't work. Best part of the massage yeah. is when they do anything with your legs. Usually all it takes is like taking your leg and lifting it up in the air. <laughs> Like having somebody else carry the weight of your leg for yeah. some reason feels amazing. It's a, it totally is amazing. But if they make this sound while they're doing it, <laughs> you might you may have a problem. You may have a little Nothing, problem. Nothing uh, more discouraging than when they grunt as they lift your leg. Yeah. Oh, let's move this over here. <laughs> Anywho. Um, Okay, let's get to the headlines now with Terry South. Terry, what should we be focused on right now? A panel of three federal judges on Tuesday ruled that North Carolina's congressional map is unconstitutionally gerrymandered and said the state's General Assembly must redraw district lines before the 2018 midterm election in November. Oh, really? This is the first time a federal court has ruled that a congressional map's boundaries violate the Constitution because they were drawn for partisan reasons. In this case, to benefit the Republican candidates of that state. Always. North, come on. North Carolina has until January 24th to come up with a remedial plan, but the court said if it found the new district lines to be partisan, the judge will make the new map himself or herself, whoever the judge may be. Really? So now the judge is getting into the political map making industry. It's got to be fair. Yeah. By it's, the way, gerrymandering. They ruined a good name, Jerry. Jerry. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, the and t- mandarin. The tough thing about gerrymandering is I was been listening to several podcasts on this very topic. We kind of do it to ourselves. Yeah, we tend to move with like-minded people. 
That's that's how and we you, are. You move into these neighborhoods or regions or states, right. and you all tend to vote the same way. And so you kind of gerrymandered yourself. So yeah. how do you tell, is this just natural demographics? Human, yeah, is this human how we, Or is this actually something manipulated? And that's really the, the difficult well, part. Well, but it's, it is when they start, you know, when the line, like, isn't a straight line. But it's a crooked line but, through people's backyards, well, yeah. depending on who lives where. Some of the stuff's kind of weird, but the other the other time there's there's read there's like uh, rivers and natural boundaries right. that right. cause the crooked lines and make them look kind of weird. Did you hear the sad Jerry news? No, Jerry Van Dyke. Yes, passed away. I think he was eighty six. Ah, uh, he was a good man. He I had a lot of good laughs with Jerry from Van Dyke. Coach. Yeah, Just, and my mother the car. I think that was him. I don't remember that. Yes, it was. But just a great, you know, straight man that every joke could be about. And his much older brother, Dick Van Dyke, still alive. Still kicking it. And, by the way, I think still doing, uh, as a, working as a chimney sweep. He, I believe he's going to be reprising his role in the new Mary Poppins film. Uh, they better hurry. Yeah. They better hurry. Moving on. President Trump, not all that worried about the potential for an Oprah Winfrey 2020 presidential run. Telling reporters Tuesday that he would defeat her. He goes, yeah, I'll beat her. I'll beat Oprah. Oprah would be a lot of fun, he said during the brief (laughs) press availability. He goes, I like Oprah. I don't think she's going to run. I know her very well. Trump additionally took the time to boast. You know, I did one of her last shows. She had Donald Trump. Uh, This was uh, before politics. Her last week. And she had uh, the Donald Trump. He had his whole family on. It was a whole thing. But he's like, yeah, I know her. I know Oprah. She'd be fun. I'd beat her. It'd be fun to crush her. It'd be fun. And... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he knew the Clintons, <laughs> took them down. He, he donated to her campaign several times. Yeah, what happens when you bring down Harpo? Hmm? Harpo Productions. Uh, today, our Vice President Mike Pence, he officially, this was a week ago Hold on, or so. is he still around? Mike Pence? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's there. He has to stick around more because the Senate, the numbers are different, so yeah. he has to be close to just traditional, like, when they're deciding what to have for lunch, he has to be there to decide that this, that <laughs> situation now. Uh, so he welcomed Doug Jones, who's the guy that won the uh, election in Alabama, over Roy Moore. Uh, he, he signed, what, what they take the oath of office to be yeah. a member of the Senate. Um, but if you remember, there were 22,000 write-in votes for the Alabama state election for right. Senate. Right. Uh, the man Moore beat in the Republican primary, Luther Strange, got some small revenge, beating all other write-in candidates with 7,500 votes. Meanwhile, Lee Busby, a former aide to the current White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, who was running as an independent, won the write-in battle in at least 10 counties. Other fantasy candidates, such as Attorney General Jeff Sessions, so some people decided to go Jeff Sessions. Right. Pick him, put him back in. Whose seat Jones and Moore were vying to fill. Uh, University of Alabama football coach Nick Saban won several (laughs) thousand votes. As did Lee Kaufman, one of the women who accused Moore of sexual misconduct. Really? Her house was later burnt down. So they're investigating that for arson. And so did Sassy, the horse uh, Moore rode to the polls election day. (laughs) The Sassy, the horse, got got it votes also. What if Sassy had won the election? I don't know. Some voters vented their frustration with the race by writing neither and any other Republican, NBC News reports, while others threw their support behind celebrities, both human and animated, like Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse, SpongeBob, SquarePants, Ronald Reagan, and even uh, Jesus. Jesus got some votes. Oh, hmm. I don't think he'd want that, John. Nah, he's got other things to worry about. Um, Alabama election law requires candidates to be living persons in order to write for write-in ballots to count, so the cartoon uh, characters, come on. they're all out. Well, and uh, Sassy then couldn't have won. He's living. Well, Sassy's? he's not a person, though. Oh, well. And... So, who are you to decide personhood? 
<laughs> what, what about a horse? Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, he's just a different <laughs> breed. But uh, but if Sassy won, what do you think Sassy would ride in on to cast oh, right. Sassy's vote? Right. Hmm. Maybe on mm-hmm. Tuesday. Yeah. You ever hear that old riddle? No. Oh. Guy uh, rides Making rides in up. on Tuesday, comes back on Friday. How oh, does he do uh, it? A horse. Right. Yeah. The horse right. name the horse is Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. And then came back on a different horse. Wow. Friday. Well, we solved that problem. Finally, everyone's talking about the Michael Wolf book that is about yeah. you know, President Trump, and everyone's yammering on about that forever. Well, there's another book that's getting some attention because of this one. So the Michael Wolf oh, no. book is called Fire and Fury. Right. There's a Randall Hansen, 2008, wrote a book called Fire and Fury, The Allied Bombing of Germany, 1942 <laughs> to 1945. Selling <laughs> off the shelves. He's a political scientist from the University of Toronto. Uh, he goes, I haven't seen this level of interest in the book since it first came out. Fire, he goes, Fire and Fury Wolf's book was released on Friday. And that night, Hansen said he went on Amazon and saw that his Fire and Fury book was listed in three bestseller categories. Good for him. He goes, it amused me as, as part of me thought, people, can they really be this dumb and confused by these two completely different books? Well, there's a lot of disappointed people. I, now, I don't know if you heard, but in the latest Fire, Fire and Fury book, He's, uh, President Trump started World War One. Really? Whoa! Mm-hmm. You know what, though? Maybe they were looking up Fire and Fury, Fire and Fury on Amazon, read the description of his book, and thought, "Yeah, this That's sounds about, a little better." Sounds right. Hansen told the Guardian that he had received some rude messages from people who said they bought the book by accident. One man sending him an angry tweet saying, "There's no way I'm reading it," but he also heard from others who said they stumbled upon the book and thought, "Hey, this looks like a pretty good read." I'm telling you, it's probably a much better book. Oh yeah. At least, wow. the, at least the outcome is known. Right. And it's, yeah. Whereas the there's, the newer book is kind of open-ended. There's probably more truth, maybe, in it. Possibly, sure. Probably even better research. Yeah. As we're finding out, there's problems with the right. new book. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't probably be as popular on the big networks. No. Or the big uh, cable news outlets. But seeing as people were rushing to purchase something, they clicked the – a lot of people have one-click purchase – on Amazon. That makes me enabled, very nervous. And you just click and it goes right through the process instead of going through yeah. checking your shipping address and what credit card Not you want to use Not and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I've had to, yeah. I and, thought that was so easy. And then, you know, it shows up and it's completely the wrong book. <laughs> and now I don't even have a Fire and Fury book. Are you guys going to buy the book? No. I think we've heard pretty much everything about the book that you need to know. Yeah, why would you buy it when you could just listen to it on all I the might, channels? I might buy the other one. Yeah, the one that's good, the good book. I've got that one too. It's why I stopped getting uh, certain magazines because they do so much promotion of their main story that by the time I got the magazine, I had pretty much heard everything about the story. Yeah, that's the thing. What I mean, what do you see online that you don't see in the print magazine? Well, some of them put it behind a paywall, make it so you have to work to get their content, but mm. the others just put it all out there because they want everyone to read it. So, I don't yeah. Know. I've just been blown away. Are you ready for something? Okay, go ahead. We're we're holding on, waiting for the the explosion of interesting facts. Go. Two Guinness World Record holding cats are missing. Still, still waiting for the blown away part. That was my head exploding. Wow, you had a big head. 
That's what my wife tells me every Two day. Two Guinness World Record holding cats are missing after a fire gutted their owner's suburban Detroit home. Hmm. Will and Lauren Powers escaped uh, Sunday's blaze, but their cats Arcturus and Cygnus hmm. haven't been seen since. Both cats are two years old. Speaking of cats. Will Power says the couple opened some doors as they fled their burning uh, Farmington Hills house in hopes that Arcturus and Cygnus and their third cat would escape. By the way, they didn't name the third cat. Right. It's the, always the youngest that gets gets know, left out. It's that third so. child's always the odd one. Right. The Associated Press left a message Monday seeking comment from fire officials. Arcturus holds the Guinness World Record for being the tallest domestic cat. Whoa. Uh, coming in at six feet four inches tall. Is that standing on all four? No, he's actually nineteen inches tall. Wow. Maybe they went on a crime spree. Yeah. Good point. There's been at least one other cat who did. Yes, the the pink one. Uh, Cygnus is the domestic cat with the world's longest tail. Hmm. Do you think they have a rivalry? I'm taller, but you have a longer tail. Yeah, well, we don't know what they have anymore. The well, longer tail is good for swinging across uh, ditches. But maybe this into is buildings. why they didn't make it out of and the do fire. Do you think the third one's just tired of putting up with the other two's garbage? I think They're the like, third Look at one us. We're may have had something to do with their di- with their disappearance. Oh, wow. The tallest one could reach hard to reach places. I'm telling you, together they're the perfect crime team. Mm. Yeah, that give them a little catnip. Boom. That between They'll the two of them, the diamond. Between the two of them, eighteen lives. Wow. So but if again, they get it wrong, they can they've got, you know, seventeen other chances. But what happened with the third one? Do we mm. not care? Someone has to be the driver. Yeah. He's the getaway guy. He's always in, in all of these uh caper movies, there's always the one uh there's always the one kind of not so smart one. Mm-hmm. That the, just, the bumbler, yeah. Yeah. That just He's there kind for comedic messes effect. things up. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. His name's like Roger, Roger the Cat. Hey, now, we've seen a film earlier this year where the driver was pretty much the smartest one. No, that that can happen. Are you going to name the film? There have been lots of films about uh, drivers, getaway drivers that are smart. Logan, what's that called? Is that What are you talking about? No, there's... What film is it? There's Driver, there's Baby... No, there's Drive, Baby Driver, Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky. There was no real getaway driver in that. Yeah, the, the, the um, really smart female that walked away. The sister, like she was kind of the getaway driver. They yeah. got away in how, the car that she was driving. How, how did we get on this subject? Well, I, I was saying that the third cat, the missing cat, the is actually the getaway driver. I know, but how did we get to movies? Because he turns it all to movies. That's we just why. named it's, at least a half a dozen films right there. Jeff, that's why we gave you a show on Friday. We no. don't have time to name all of the movies that we just named. dealing with you guys <laughs> it's so hard it's just so hard but then i look at you and you got that cute little boyish smile because you got your hair cut i think you can't get mad plus there's two cats out there missing so if you happen to see these cute little uh, felines three cats arcturus we don't care you keep forgetting the third cat Ar- yeah arcturus cygnus and the unnamed cat maybe they don't want to be found have you ever thought about that yeah obviously haven't you ever just wanted to go off the grid for a while yeah that's why i leave for a week and then all i hear about is how you don't like it when i leave for a week i didn't say that i said i'm gonna shave my head <laughs> 
Next and time I'm going to catch you on that. And it's then... really – it's not that I want you to – it's not that I don't like hosting the show. It's that I just want you to care. I want you to notice. Yeah. Well. And I feel like today you finally did. <sighs> because I noticed your haircut and your white walls. You look great. I mean, sure, you're not Arcturus. You're not Cygnus. You're like the third cat in my life. You're not the tallest of my friends. You don't have the longest tail. You kind of, but you are, you're my cat. Jeffrey Liam Simpson. He's my cat. Anyway. Up next, the coolest cat of them all, Brian Willoughby, will be joining us. He's a Ph.D. uh, professor here at Brigham Young University. And we are going to talk about the fact that love is not like the movies. So let's blow up some of those myths straight ahead. Welcome back, friends. Uh, you know, the media, we see a lot of different uh, portrayals of love, what love is supposed to be like. Your, you know, a lot of the fairy princess stuff. One kiss brings back true love and they live happily ever after. Except some of those uh, are, some of those ideas, they're not necessarily real. And maybe they set us up for some misunderstanding of what really happens when it comes to love and romance. So here to help us understand uh, and maybe blow up a few of these myths are, uh, is our good friend, Dr. Brian Willoughby, who's an associate professor in the School of Family Life right here at Brigham Young University. He's also um, the author of the book, The Marriage Paradox, which is a book you're going to want to go get to uh, just share with your family, your, your marriage. Just share it with your partner. Everyone. Everyone they, you know. If your partner can get better at marriage, then you'll be great. Yeah, that's right. It's all up to them. So uh, blow up some of these myths for us. I mean, one of the more, more popular one ones that we see a lot is that, that everybody kind of has this soulmate out there, right. this one and only person that once you, once you find them, they complete you. Right. And th- this is actually one of, if not the most common relationship myth that we see out there really? right now is the soulmate belief. Yeah. And, and, and it usually is not necessarily that there's just one person. Because a lot of movies don't necessarily portray right. there's just one person. But there is this kind of special connection yes. that I'm searching for. That in the masses of people, or you think most romantic movies, there's that moment yes. where you meet. And they look at each other and they see. you know, And there, there's, the, uh. there's that sense that not only is it about the meeting part, we'll get to that in a little bit later. But it's as we get to know each other, it's this is what I've been waiting for. This, we uh, click. And, it, and it be, it's like... Yeah, it really it becomes like this finishing thing for you. Right. It, it it changes you to be whole. Right. And it's <sighs> it's really really popular now because it really fits with a lot of the relationship anxieties that a lot of people have about dating oh, right yeah. now, which is I don't have time for it. I'm so busy with work, I'm so busy with all these things that I want. And so the fantasy that I can wait for this magical soulmate to show up for me Yes. Rather than I have to go be proactive in the dating market and go find people <laughs> is really, really attractive. That That is actually an interesting way to look at it because um, it's almost like God will make it happen. He'll bring this person into your path. Right. And, and then I don't have to feel bad yeah. about not, me not having all these opportunities. Yeah. All my relationships Being don't inactive. work out. Well, that's not about me. 
It's because it wasn't my soulmate. It wasn't meant to be. Interesting. And um, like I've had uh, clients that you know that believed in a soulmate, and then they found their soulmate, and then their soulmate died. Right. And I'm like, well, what happens when your soulmate dies? I asked them that. What happens? And they're like, well, you just get another one. Right. Yeah. And, and again, it's it's interesting variation. Again, it's not yeah. necessarily there's one person, yeah. but there's this group. There's a small group, three to five maybe. Right. People out there. So yeah, they, they're they're replaceable, perhaps. Yeah. But it's still that mentality of they will come to me. The universe will bring us together. God will bring us together. I don't need to do anything. Interesting. So the truth is, there there really are multiple people. Are mm-hmm. we saying? Do you believe there's more than five hundred possible matches? More than a thousand, five thousand. I mean, probably more than it, that. We have seven and a half billion people on the earth. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, if you think about just the core of healthy relationships. It's about shared values and shared goals and commitment. Yeah. All the other stuff can be worked out for the most part, right? And there's, there's, I mean, some barriers like right. mental illness and addiction and things like that. But for the most part, you find someone that lines up with your values, has similar goals in life for what they want in terms of kids, in terms of career. Mm-hmm. And then you become committed and you're invested in the relationship together and invested in making it work. Pretty much any relationship like that has the potential to be okay and That's work and good. be really happy. Yeah. And so really it's not about finding the right one. It's maybe more about being the right one right. and and I guess getting enough people by you that you can – see what, which fits best. Right. Because another piece of the soulmate myth that's problematic is it, it gives us this mentality that because we're meant to be together, we don't have to work on anything anymore. Rather than this idea of of let's become each other's soulmate. Let's work on this and let's let's slowly build a relationship cool. together yeah. where I don't want to be with anyone else. And we are meant to be together because of how we've built this. Right. And the, which I guess gets to our next uh, possible or problematic myth is the idealization of the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, are we everybody knows that a really good partner would never burn anything in the oven. Right. Of course. And would love touch n- nonstop mm-hmm. and would always initiate all touch. Right. Never leave the dishes. Never leave the dishes. Never leave the garbage yeah. out. Always take care of the kids. Every wake up with the kids. It, every it time. sounds like a housewife from the fifties, right? Who tried to be perfect. Yeah. It didn't even let her husband know she wore makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and romantic comedy. I'm gonna I'm gonna really put two things under the bus in the media with this one. <laughs> romantic comedies and actually reality television really really um, exaggerate this idealization because in romantic comedies. Usually most of those movies, you've got particularly the guy that's acting like an idiot for 90% yeah. of the movie. And then what does he do at the end? He makes this huge romantic gesture. He completely turns his life around and he becomes this perfect romantic person. Exactly. Um, a lot of reality television, particularly dating shows, do this same oh. thing. They kind of set this really idealized romantic, perfect ideal of what relationships supposed to, you know, we're supposed to get in the helicopter and yeah. we're going to fly over <laughs> and there's flowers and roses all the time. And it does create this very unrealistic expectation, not that there shouldn't be romance in a relationship, but the majority of relationship, 98% of the time is not going to be over the top no. Oh, romantic. No, no. yeah. It's, in fact, it's actually, it's quite the opposite. Right. It's like, whoa. Yeah. You need to shower. <laughs> Exactly. And and if I go into a relationship with this idea that I'm going to be happy all the time, I'm going to be satisfied all the time, um, that can really undermine things. In fact, I, one of the things I've become convinced about and been talking about lately is that particularly young adults right now, millennials, I'm convinced that as they're getting married, this is the biggest issue they're finding. We're actually finding some research that's suggesting that marriage is not as healthy for people as it used to be. Really? And I don't think it's about 
marriage changing. I think it's about the current generation as they're getting married in a much more individualistic, idealized way where I just want to be happy all the time. What's in it for me? It's actually making their marriages less healthy than they used to be. Oh, wow. Interesting. So we're actually just generationally, you bring a whole new benefit or lack of benefit Mm -hmm. to to the marriage equation. Right. That's scary. Yeah, Yeah. It's all going down. Ah. So, uh, and the, I guess the other downside to having this idealized version of your partner is they'll never live up to it right. once you're in it. Yeah, and then that just breeds dissatisfaction. And, and we know that one of the worst things that can happen in a relationship is not necessarily being unhappy. That happens in every relationship. Right. But when I feel like you're not living up to my expectations and it becomes not just a, a I'm mad at you in the moment, but I'm really reflecting on are you the right person I start doing what we call alternative seeking, which is I start to look around and mm-hmm. say, well, that person might make me more happy. That's that's the really first big wedge that gets into a relationship. Once, you, once you're shopping alternatives. Right. Even inside, even mm-hmm. internally. Now, you're not doing anything. You're not acting. But you're starting to think to yourself, I wonder what it would be like to be with that person. That's that's a really troubling sign in a And it really it probably has its roots, again, in this idea that there's this ideal one. Right. Yeah. And, and and they already exist in their ideal form right. instead of in a form of growing to be right. ideal with you. Yeah. Both of this one and the soulmate um, issue we were talking about is is they're both rooted in this idea that people don't change, that they just kind of show up right. manufactured and complete and you, you're figuring out if the product works or not. not. People need to understand that relationships are something that change. They're dynamic. They can grow. They can get either better or ne- more negative over mm. time. Uh, Another one, again, we're speaking with Dr. Brian Willoughby, who is an associate professor in the School of Family Life right here at Brigham Young University, um, author of The Marriage Paradox, and is an expert in areas like dating, sexuality, cohabitation, marital attitudes and beliefs. We're talking about love is not like the movies, but the movies basically has a pretty little uh, picture that they paint that, you know, it's all love conquers all. Right. It's just... It's just love. And once you've got it, it fixes everything. Right. And and the problem with this one is not necessarily with the love. It's how we define love. Yeah. Right. So my wife and I, one of our favorite movies is Moulin Rouge, which is all about this. Right. All you need is love. Love is like oxygen. But the problem is we're usually talking about an emotionally based love. Mm. Right. The the butterflies in my stomach, the feeling of I want to be around you, kind of that euphoric type of love. Um, And that love fades. Actually, it's not uncommon for for couples that have been together for decades to not feel a lot of butterflies in the stomach. Again, it it should happen every once in a while, but it's not my daily experience with you. It doesn't mean I don't love you, but there's something deeper. It's a deeper love that's based on commitment and based on dedication, based on the experiences that we've had. Um, with us. One, one of uh, an older reference, I don't use it as much because it's an older movie, but the, the story of us is an old movie with yeah. Bruce Willis. And there's a monologue um, that Michelle Pfeiffer gives at the end of that. It's a, about a couple thinking about divorce and they decide to reconcile. And she gives this huge monologue at the end about love and commitment being about the moments they've built mm. together and not about this kind of more romantic love. Uh, again, there's a guy out there by the name of Sternberg and and his theory of love, he talks about romantic love, but it's an incomplete love. It's missing long-term commitment. Interesting. He called consummate love something that has passion, intimacy, and commitment. He said romantic love is just passion and intimacy without commitment. You need – so consummate love is a commitment, some long-term right. game. I'm in. Yeah. I desire to be with you for the long term. And so uh, people that notice in their marriage that they've kind of put it in a contingency – 
well, I'll love you if you love me, then you meet this criteria, then I'll meet that criteria, then we might end up shortchanging ourselves. Right. Exactly. And if you look at the movies, the really upbeat, lovey, romantic movies, well, they show them until they get together. If we're going to show a couple has been together for 10 or 20 years, it's now a drama and we're talking about all these problems. So true. Is um, But if you love me, you would just automatically accept all of my flaws and not expect me to change them. Right. Exactly. Again, it goes back to the same underlying issue a lot of these have, which is relationships are static. They don't change. You should just accept me because we love. Love can get us past any relationship problem. Right. As long as we just love each other yeah. enough, we can we can love each other through it. And there's there's no yeah. evidence for that. But also, if I love you, I would expect more from you too. I mean, I'd right. want you to get better. Right. I'd want you to remember something that right. you learned. Exactly. And and to remember that I'm not aware of a lot of couples on their wedding day that didn't love each other. Right. right. Every marriage starts right. with them really loving each other, and then half of them fail anyway. Yeah. It's true. And, and then it's also interesting that once the marriage starts to fail, you, you actually look back on marriage not with those doughy eyes you started with, right. but with the negative eyes that you've created. Right. And what is, what is the phrase a lot of people use now when they're having struggles in their marriage or end up in divorce? Well, we fell out yeah, of love. We fell right out of it. Right. Well, it's like, no, well, you fell out of romantic love like every relationship did. You just never built the other type of love. That's cool. And but not by the way, not as fun, not as cinematic, not right. as yeah, not it doesn't as, make as good yeah. viewing, right? I, the the probably the best and healthiest marriages would make really boring movies. They really, I mean, except like the Notebook has this scene where the husband's always trying to go reconnect right. to the wife that's dying of Alzheimer's. I can't remember. Right. Yeah, but, but, but see, the irony. You're get me talking about the Notebook. I know, you don't want me to go there. But the irony of it is that's not what made the movie popular. It was right. all the other fake examples right. of what love was this hot romantic. Right. You're my one and only soulmate right. moment. Yeah. And, and since, since you brought it up, I'll go yeah. there, right? If you look at the Notebook, you've got a, actually a fairly abusive relationship throughout most of the movie. Totally. But again, love conquers that, gets through that. And hey, then what do we fine. do? We get together and then fast forward. Yeah, and then get and then, to the, and then we have this nice skip you know, all the boring spoiler alert. Right, pass away together, <laughs> and we're not going to see kind of how they somehow managed to to fix this kind of problematic relationship. That's they right. Isn't that interesting? And it it's just not as it's not as sensual. It's not as but in reality, it's it's long term process, and we don't want to we don't want to see it as work. We want to see it just as this this almost reaction. Yeah. And that, that's another issue for a lot of people is they don't want their relationships to be work. They're like, I've got kids I've got, that are work. I've got, I've got go job. I've got exercise. I've got, you know, all these obligations in my life. Relationships are supposed to be de-stressing. Yeah. It's supposed to be easy. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be natural, mm -hmm. like childbirth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lot of work. Yes. Uh, not that I've been there. Um, okay. So... You've blown up a bunch, but the one I know you won't be able to blow up is this idea that there's this love at first sight. Like right. one, I I can see this one, and I just know she's the one. Boom, bada boom, bada bing. Immediate love. Right, and and the key here is that there is actually some truth to love at first sight in the sense of that romantic love, that connection yeah. that you feel with people. That's a very real thing um, in terms of attraction. The problem is, is that what most people start to think to themselves when they think about love at first sight is this there's this mystic knowing. So it's mm. not just that I feel attracted to you right away. It's that I will know that we're supposed to be together forever. 
in that moment. Yeah. And then people start to really struggle because they're like, well, I, I went on a first date with this person and I liked A, B, and C, but I didn't like a, you know, G, F, and H over yeah. here. And so therefore, it's not love at first sight. Therefore, it can never work. Um, I was actually talking to a guy earlier this week and he was asking me, he's like, I go on all these first and second dates and then I just can't get past that because there's always a couple things that I don't like about right. the women that I'm dating. And, and what do you think I should do? I said, well, go on a third and fourth date. He's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, just because you don't like that, you're going to not like things about everyone you date. (laughs) That's normal. You need to go on a couple more dates and see if they continue to bug you or not. Oh, but so I'm supposed to keep dating somebody that I'm not sold on immediately? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like everyone has those faults. But that could cost like 15 bucks. Yeah. Well, it depends on what you do. Get out a board game. (laughs) Get out a board game. Play some Catan. Yeah, you could just go for a walk. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? We... But that's, I guess, the the illusion that there is a love at first sight makes it if that if it doesn't happen immediately, it's not worth continuing. Right. Yeah. Which again is interesting because there's also a little bit of research that would suggest that the most stable relationships are those that actually started with friendship yeah. beforehand. You know, if you think about the it's the high school sweethearts, it's the people that were friends for many years and got to know each other on a deeper level before they started to mm. date. A lot of those are some of the most stable, healthy relationships we have. So it's kind of love at 90th sight. Right. Yeah. That's, isn't that funny? That's healthier. And yet it's just, it's almost not as satisfying to our minds. Right. Because again, it goes back to what we've been saying about the emotional love is a fleeting thing, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our emotional system just physiologically is is a very, uh, very unstable system in our body, right? That's where we get angry really quick and sad right. really quick and we feel love really quick. It's not something you want to base a relationship on. I mean, it's important to feel those things because it motivates us. Right? That's yeah. really what it does. It's yeah. those feelings of love motivate us, put effort and energy into relationship. But it's not what you want to build a relationship on. But that's not a very romantic idea. No. Boring. I know. So so if I get this straight, uh, love is a lot harder than we think it is. It's a longer process. It uh, it, it's not necessarily driven by chemical, but maybe more by character. Right. But chemicals can be there. Right. And um, apparently, it's not fairy tales on uni- or fairies on unicorns isn't what brings it. Right. And another way to put that is that the love you see portray in a lot of movies is just not that important in relationships. And I, I should say because I'll say that to students and others sometimes, and like, well, that sounds. Why would I even want to get in a relationship yeah. then if blah, that's blah. what it's like? Well, it's understanding that. This other type of love that we're talking about, this deeper one that's based on character and commitment, is actually much more satisfying yeah. long term than the romantic love. And it's it's really what you are going to need going forward. When you're right. 90, this incredible chemical, physical love may not be what's going to get you through right. your 90s with your partner. Exactly. And it's the type of thing that leads us to see that long-term married people do tend to be happier and healthier. They live longer. There's all these benefits, but it's tied to this deeper type of relationship that they have. Mm. Boy, you did it again. Brian Willoughby, that's cool. Mm, Thanks. Check him out at his website, drbrianwillaby.com, drbrianwillaby.com. You can also find his book, The Marriage Paradox, and he's here on the show every every other week, I believe. Uh, And... We need him because otherwise we would just keep thinking that, you know, love is blind and some of these other paradigms that aren't quite cutting it for us. 
Awesome stuff. We'll continue the journey. Up next, our good brethren, by the way, two people we love and loved at first sight, uh, Spencer and Jeremy, I believe, will be joining us to talk about their show coming up uh, on BYU Sports Nation. Straight ahead. Yes, folks, it is the time. That is the music, which means we are now going to head downstairs here at BYU Broadcasting uh, to talk to our good friends Spencer and Jerem and find out what's coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. Um, it's Yo. we're, we're changing it to the BYU Sports Nation movie show. Really? Yes. Yep. Excellent. What movie will you be reviewing today? Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. Wow. Have you seen it, Matt? No, no, I haven't. Has Jeff seen it? Josh Duhamel, uh, let's see, one of the Tobies. Topher Grace. Topher Grace, yeah. And then uh, <laughs> Kate, no, it's one yes, of the Kate. Yes, Kate. Yeah. I can't remember her last name. Is it worth seeing? Totally. It's kind of like Bye Bye Birdie, isn't it? it in a spinoff, yes. It's Excellent. hilarious. Okay, premise of the story, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Topher Grace, do you know who that is? No, but I'll look. Star of that 70s show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, main kid Eric in that show. Yeah, I love him. Um, he's a grocery store clerk, and he's in love with the girl who is Gary Portier's girlfriend in Remember the Titans. Okay. Okay, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And she wins a date with a super famous Hollywood movie star named Tad Hamilton, who is played by Josh Duhamel. Oh, excellent. Hilarity ensues. Yes. Anyway. Did you... Uh, the I, reason I brought that up is I was just talking to Jerem about that. And um, is, has Jerem seen it? I've not seen it. Come on, Jerem. Get out You there. want to know why we were talking about that? Why? Because of the song that was being spoofed right before <laughs> the hit. Can't get enough of your love, baby. Yeah. yeah. Okay? That song has a prominent role in Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. Really? Yes. Okay, I've got to go see this then. Win so a Date with Turd Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different movie. That's a different one. Yeah, that's not as that one's not as good. Hey, um, okay, here's the question for you of the day. Are you ready? Ready. It's uh, uh, did you hear about? Oh boy, where'd it go? Um, Thomas Davis, who was fined. Because he's a Panthers linebacker, Thomas Davis, but he was fined because the sound that his hit made. He was fined $48,620 for a hit against the Buccaneers receiver, Adam Humphreys, but it was basically because the sound sounded so bad. Hmm. Wait, that's what they cited Uh as? Yep. It was a dirty dirty play. We actually have the sound if you want to hear it. Okay. That was it. It's a bit much. <laughs> a bit. What do you mean a bit much? But yeah, apparently it was uh, it was unnecessary roughness. But they they got it from the explanation was uh, the official heard helmet to helmet, which is the craziest thing I've ever heard a ref tell me. What he heard was helmet to helmet. He didn't see helmet to helmet. He heard it. Boom. Fine. Forty eight grand. He didn't see it. He heard he it. He heard it. It just sounded like helmet to helmet. What does the other guy say? That's what I want to know. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what he sounds like. Hmm. It's a weird, weird thing. That is weird. Don't you think money's? It seems like money. I mean, that's how we're trying to motivate these guys. You know, give them a fine for. I mean, forty-eight thousand dollars. I mean, that's. I mean, you guys could handle that because you're in the TV. Forty-eight thousand dollars. Yeah, but if we if we did that, we'd lose half of our Christmas party <laughs> bonus. Um, 
Now, okay, what about this? Uh, John Gruden then signs a $100 million contract. Is any coach worth $100 million? If he goes to a Super Bowl and wins it, absolutely he's worth it. Does he need to win one or four? Probably multiple Super Bowls, right? Yeah. This is the Raiders we're talking about, Jerem. But I know, we're talking about $100 million. Just... If they win a Super Bowl, there will be no Raiders fan that says he wasn't worth the hundred million. Yeah. Oh, what the fans say, I know, but his actual <laughs> worth, I think you need multiple. But in Vegas, it's probably easy to get to a hundred mil, right? I mean, one way or another, you're going to just put it on something. I would imagine that there are some boosters in Vegas. Yes, that can help fund John Gruden's salary. They have different names when it's not college. <laughs> uh, Mobsters. <laughs> who who's more likely Whoever supports the program is the money better put on a player or on a coach coaching is uh underrated really it really is so UC, get, yeah. ucf was owen 12 two years ago two years ago and then they get a coach and then a second a good coach and in the second year he's Boom. He's 13 and 0 they're hosting a national Four- championship parade at disney world Were they 14 and 0 they were 14 and 0 14 wow. and 0 Wow. Yeah. That, right. That's the kind of difference a coach can make. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys got, uh, you know, $100 million contracts, didn't you? Close. We got $100 million, uh, pennies. Pennies. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of millions of pennies. How much would 100 million pennies be? <laughs> um, you know, I don't do math on the fly. <laughs> that is one, well, 100 million pennies is $1 million. Jeff's that's looking. Million we got, oh, we got so, that contract over... So we signed a 20-year, $1 million contract. <laughs> That's a great contract, you guys. By the time – you'll actually be my age by that time. That's great we for you. We will earn a million dollars. Oh, no. how many years will no, it take? Absolutely. Hey, what's on your show today? Uh, we are discussing content. <laughs> the next four games for BYU men's basketball. Excellent. And the reason we are doing that is because – no football. Yes, one, there's no football. <laughs> and two, BYU has enjoyed, or I should say suffered, struggles in the West Coast Conference, including last year, that pertain to the number four. We'll get into that mm-hmm. one today. Yet the expectations are for BYU to win the next four because it's BYU and that's how fans Because think. Jimmer. Yeah, really, yeah. it goes back to Jimmer. It's always about Jimmer. So are expectations too high if people expect BYU to win the next four? That's and good. Based on what they've done in the recent past. Love and it. And the compelling and uh, amazing story of the BYU swim and dive team who took a trip to Puerto Rico over the break. They went there to train. Uh, there were seven teams scheduled to do so. BYU ends up being the only one because of Hurricane Maria. And all of a sudden, swimming takes a back seat. We'll talk to Ooh, cool. the head coach of the swim and dive team, John Brooks. Pretty cool story. Yeah, Man. you won't believe the email he just received from uh, one of the prominent people down there in Puerto Rico. Oh, really awesome. Cool. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's all straight ahead, folks. In just four minutes, you will get to hang out with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation, Jeremy and Spencer, and also get to hear those great stories. Um, about the swim team. Hey, our hero of the day is a Chick-fil-A hero. 
Now listen to this. A man in Kentucky got some much-needed help from generous Chick-fil-A patron last month. The needy gentleman had walked into the restaurant in Bowling Green in a pair of beat-up shoes, which were uh, being held together with duct tape, according to the witnesses. Uh, Noticing this and seeing that the man was about to go back out into the cold, an anonymous customer stopped the man in his tracks and offered up his own footwear. The guy goes, sir. And he goes, yeah. And the man just looked at him in the eyes, took off his boots, and handed them to him, said uh, Holly Cassidy, a, a witness who saw the whole thing happen. Just witness an awesome act of kindness by this gentleman taking off his boots during his meal and giving them to the man in need with shoes that were being held together with duct tape. How cool is that? That's what uh, she posted uh, on her Twitter feed, along with a photo. Uh, Kyle says he feels fortunate that his family got to witness the good deed. As a parent, you always want good examples and role models for your kids. Uh, Hallie got to see something that you don't see every day. And that is why they're the hero of the day. I mean, you see somebody in need, it's it's normal to sit there and say, oh, I feel bad for you, or even to give some money. But to take your own shoes off, your own boots off, and hand them to another person in, you know, when it's freezing outside, that's a real hero. And that's really what the world needs. And by the way, each of us can do something like that to the people around us, the people we care about. You don't need to step up in the biggest way publicly. You just need to step up in the way that you can. That's the goal of the show. And we'll be back again tomorrow to give you more ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. BYU Sports Nation is up next. 